Ladies and gentlemen, recorded in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. It's time for Fight Night Picks with your host, Frank and Matt Allen. We're getting set for UFC Fight Night, Jan versus Dwalish Willie, a big time card coming at you this weekend. 14 total fights scheduled on Saturday night, the UFC's first card from the theater at the Virgin Hotels. As always, one half of your host and duo, Craig Allen, Twitter and Instagram, at Craig Allen FNP. With me to my left, to your right, Matt Allen, respective socials, at Matt Allen FNP, Matt Allen. 12 and 2 last weekend. Let's go. 8 and 2 the weekend before Fight Night Picks is rolling, heading into this busy, busy weekend. And when it comes to it, the UFC, I mean, they've really liked that Apex facility for a lot they of have. these Fight Night cards. But when you look at it, a new venue over there, it used to be the joint at the Hard Rock, but the Hard Rock moved. And then the first performance that they ever had at the theater was Christina Aguilera. She opened wow. it up. But I know you get excited about it, and I'll talk about it as we what, move Christina away. Christina Aguilera or the fights? No, but uh, Ramirez Taylor was held at the Virgin Hotel, so a lot of cool stuff. I went to see the 1975 there back in November. It was a pretty darn good venue, so hopefully the fight fans are excited for that one. When it comes down to these fights, I know we're really excited about it. And when you focus in on the main event, Top five bantamweights, Piotr Jan, his second fight post-title. He had four straight fights for a type of title, because that Corey Sandhagen fight was for the interim belt from Rob. Eight-fight win streak coming into this one against Piotr Jan. In the co-main event, Alexander Volkov, four and three in UFC main events. This is second only co-main event slot. And the last time he co-made, he beat Greg Hardy. Alexander Romanov, his last time out, majority decision loss. He's rewarded to go up in the division to fight Volkov. Some big fights here this weekend. I got a new girl now, and she's a lot like you. If you're going to rebound off one of the best pay-per-views of the year, you're going to want to rebound with probably the best fight night of the year, too. And this is one of the better fight nights we've had in a meaningful period of time. Like, I'm genuinely excited for the majority of the fights on this card. And you mentioned it. The main event in the Bantamweight division is already a pretty exciting thing, no matter where they're ranked. But two top five Bantamweights in arguably the best division in the whole UFC is a fight that pretty much anyone can get excited for. And Piotr Gon is a guy who, even when he loses, it's by this much. Like, he is putting on a impressive performances, and we know how good of a five-round fighter he has been throughout his career, but Marab Devalshvili is that little engine that could. He might not really wow you with any one area of his game. I take that back. The wrestling is so Spinning dominant back with fist. it. But with Marab, it's really just his, like, go and his drive that gets him a lot of these wins. He has incredible cardio, and that's why I do think this is such a great main event. A lot of these heavyweight main events, you kind of wonder, okay, how's this fight going to look after the second round? Marab and Piotr Jan are going to fight at the exact same pace in the fifth round that they will in the first round. So, I think this is a great main event, and that's not even to mention the 9, 10, 11 great fights we have on this card. And a number of ranked fighters on this one, 6 to be exact. We're going to throw it on over to our fight of the night screen. Let us know down below in the comments section who you have in the fight of the night 14 to choose from and you're not wrong till saturday night let us know down below in the comment section who you've got it's time for the fight of the night with fight night picks and at fight night picks we don't like to cherry pick off of the main events but piotrion taking on marab duashvili if you look at it for piotrion you consider some of the fight in the nights they start with jin susan and they continue on. And if Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler didn't exist in 2021, Perdion probably would have won a fight of the year against Corey Sandhagen. Oh, yeah. Just a technical masterclass from Rob his last time out. He sent Jose Aldo to boxing. And he ended up with a giant win there against the now 
future UFC Hall of Famer Aldo, but Marab and Piotr Jan, you touched on it already. These two guys have five-round fight styles. Oh, they yeah. can throw fight enders. Marab's got a wild right hand and those spinning back fists. Sometimes he can kind of get himself caught to become a helicopter, and he just continues to spin for them. But for both these guys, fan-friendly styles, a really cool poster that the UFC's done for this it one, is. and a great fight in this main event. It's a long night if you're fighting Marab Devalshvili. You can be one of the greatest fighters of all time. You can be a guy just freshly coming off Contender Series. His style is suffocating, so you better have worked on your cardio quite a bit if you are getting ready for a fight with Marab, but I will be interested to see how his pace endures throughout a five-round fight, because again, Piotr Jan's a guy who doesn't waste a lot of movement. He's not going to throw a lot of big shots, miss them, and then tire as a result of it, but in his last fight, we did see a bit of a weakness to him. He has good takedown defense. We can all agree on that. But if you can get past that takedown defense and hold him down, he is a little bit susceptible to some of that grappling. And with Marab Devalshvili, not only just being a training partner with Aljamain Sterling, those guys are pretty close. So uh, he has a great training camp to work for to get ready for a guy like Piotr Jan. It'll be interesting to see what happens if Devalshvili is able to get the win. Because again, his training partner is the champion. And if you beat a guy like Piotr Jan, well, you're probably not then going to go back and fight the 15th guy. You're probably getting ready for a title shot. So I'll be really interested to see what happens to the winner of this fight. Well, and it's a big-time fight in the main event, and for a second pick here, fight of the night, staying in the weight class. Now, I thought about going with Mario Bautista, who's taking on Guido Canetti, but both those guys, a lot of finishes between them. So for Victor Henry, Tony Gravely, these two guys, I mean, you talk about experience, the 28 pro fights for Henry, the championships over in Asia. For Tony Gravely, king of the cage champ, CES champ, he's put on a great run of fights in the UFC, but both these guys, like, they really do need a win to get some traction do, in this yeah. division. And for Henry, one is a giant underdog in his UFC debut. Lost as a giant favorite his last time out. So both these guys need this opportunity. And I think they're going to come out of the gates just firing in this match. For Victor Henry, he really does have to steady the ship. And I think this is a great fight to try to get back on the horse. Because if he is going to beat a guy like Tony Gravely, it's going to really test his wrestling in this matchup. Which is something we've seen him excel at in the past. But for Gravely, the thing I really like about him is he's set in his ways. But I mean that in a great way. You know what he excels at. You know what he's weak at. So for Victor Henry, it's really going to come down to what kind of a game plan he brings into the cage. But I think this is a great great fight between two really talented fighters. Couple of big time matchups that we've gone through, but again, 14 total fights on the card. Let us know who you have in the fight of the night screen. So when it comes to the fights this weekend, 14 total fights, UFC debuts from Dana White's Contender Series veteran, Florida man, Cedricus Dumas. It's 100 bucks maybe to talk to him. His manager's going to deny it. Matt Dumas is going to be taking on short-notice opponent in Josh Fremd. We also have U.S. Virgin Islands' own Carl Williams, and he's still going to be competing at heavyweight, taking on Poland's Ukash Dreski. That's a fun one. And it's a tough name to really pronounce for us here in Canada. And Matt, we also have Dana White's Contender Series Week 7 main eventer. It's Vitor Petrino. He's going to be taking on... The Pleasure Man, Anton Tercali. So a big time matchup there. I'm really looking forward to that one. We also have the rebooking of February 25th's main event. Exactly. It was supposed to be Nikita Krylov taking on Ryan Spann. It was announced out there in the broadcast. The score kind of picked it up, but looked like Krylov had some food poisoning the day of the fight. Now it's out, but that's going to be a three-round fight. So really interesting and now. we were both really excited for that fight, too. Like, yeah. that's that's how great this card is. That is a main event caliber fight that is now just on the main card as, like, a great addition. So that just speaks to the whole depth of this card. So a really tough one there, but a lot of good fights all the way down through. The return of Hikaru Rahamo. She was supposed to fight last summer. He hasn't fought in a meaningful amount of time. Austin Lingo hasn't fought in about two years. Saidna Marigometov is going to be taking on Jonathan Martinez. The Dragons on a four-fight win streak. 
streak. Nurmagomedov's on a four-fight win streak. And if you like the last name Nurmagomedov, Carlson Harris is going to be taking on Abubakar Nurmagomedov. I know there's a lot of fun fights that we like on this one. I know a 43-year-old little engine that could who coaches his own <laughs> team at our town MMA. Guido Canetti is going to look to make it three in a row against Mario Bautista. Matt... I screamed my lungs out when Alexa Grasso won her title last night incredible. against Valentina Shevchenko. I'm already turning red about these fights right now. I'm very excited about this card. I do want to know, I just want to give a little bit of shine to one fight that nobody's going to talk about this week, but I'm oddly excited for it. Shout out J.J. Aldridge and Ariane Lipsky. Right. I know that's a fight that's buried deep on the prelims. Again, you might laugh at me being excited for that kind of a fight, but J.J. Aldridge gave arguably the number one contender in this division the hardest fight of her career up until this point, so I've always really respected Aldrich. I know she's never going to reach the heights of some of these other contenders, but she's one of those fighters who, you know that her floor isn't all that low. You know what she's good at. She has great boxing, good defensively. So I think that fight against Lipsy is oddly going to be a really fun one on the prelims. It should be a big one and it means a lot to both of those women's career. Coming up this weekend, Matt, again, you look at it, 14 total fights. Abbas Magomedov kind of floating in the ether because his fight against Magomed Mustafaya, or not Magomed Mustafaya, Mahmoud Muradov is kind of left out there. So if there are any changes, any fights that are added, we'll be sure to get those out to you as soon as we possibly can here on YouTube. You can find us at Fight Night Picks, Twitter and Instagram, question mark kicks two hours before the prelims. It should be a big time card. Oh, we got yeah. a lot to talk about. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, as we always say. Let's, let's get, get into it. it. Coming up this weekend at Welterweight, Guyana's lone UFC fighter. It's Carlson Harris, the former Brave CF welterweight champ. He's going to look to try and fix some things because he's burnt some time off the clock. Yes. He turns 36 coming up in July, and he's going to be taking on the once-heralded, much-talked-about Abubakar Nurmagomedov. And this guy, you know him for his combat sambo lineage. He trained heavily under Abdulmanat Nurmagomedov. And for Abubakar, this is a guy that's perennially a giant favorite exactly. in his fights and there's been bouts of inactivity throughout his career as well so we have a big time fight coming up this weekend and when you really do look at it for Carlson Harris this is a guy that came in off of Dana White's looking for a fight Abu Dhabi 3.0 it's a mouthful over there on YouTube but Harris Wait, was Nick the Tooth in that season no he was oh. not in that one, it was Habib. He's sitting next to Dana White. They're going to watch the fights. And it was Habib's guy that was taking on Harris in the kind of culmination of the show. And Harris comes out. You know, he's a little bit older. And Dana talked about it after the fact when he went to sign him. I don't really sign 33, 34-year-olds. But this guy put on a heck of a performance. And if you watch the fight for Harris, it's one of those UAE Warriors EFC merger type of cards they had when the UFC was going to fight Island at Yaz Island at Abu Dhabi. And if you look at it for Harris, it was that signature anaconda choke that he was able to get. And then he parlays that into a UFC debut against Christian Aguilera, where Aguilera was putting him on the back he foot. He was pouring it on. And Aguilera is one of those guys, small for the weight class. Harris, really long. He's got long arms. He knows his range quite well. And for Harris, what does he do out of a takedown attempt from Aguilera? Oh my gosh, another Anaconda choke. So another great win for Harris. His second time out in the UFC. He beats Impa Kasangani. Gets a bonus out of that one. 
And then his last time out, he gets spinning wheel kicked by Shavkat Rachmana, a future champ. So it's been about a year, a little over a year, on the shelf for Carlson Harris. And now he's got to pick up the pieces, almost 36 in this division. Would you agree with me that, that the Ipica Sanganai win that Harris has is actually more impressive than just the name would suggest? Because the one thing about Kasanganai is he does keep his hands up very well. I know a lot of people know him for that crazy knockout against Joaquin Buckley, but Kasanganai is a guy who defensively with his boxing does quite well. So for Harris to be able to go in there and really hurt him with the hands, I was really impressed by that performance. But that was the hard thing for Harris, and I'm glad that you opened this episode with that. Harris came to the UFC a little bit too late in his life, and it does feel like a little bit of his athleticism has been lost along the way. Carlston Harris was at his best, you know, 27 to 31 perhaps, and it would have been nice to kind of see him with the experience he has now with the athleticism of a younger man, because he has great power in his hands when he's able to get his stand-up going. He's a guy who can fight going backwards. He's not great when he is pressured, but he will plant and throw with a lot of power shots to respond, and when he moves forward, he does have a lot of success. The problem is, a lot of people I feel like are going to be very down on Harris, but I'm kind of glad that you said uh, Nurmagomedov is normally a big favorite in a lot of his fights, so it is surprising to see him being the slight underdog, but Harris is one of those guys who, you look at his record, 17-5, and five, it's good, but it's not great, so you wouldn't really think he gets the respect from the odds makers, but I think it does speak to just how good Harris is. You look at some of his wins before he came to the UFC, he wasn't fighting just random guys off the no, street. Like, he beat Wellington Termon, who I know we don't, you know, we don't respect him the most in the division, but still, it's not like he's fighting guys you've never heard of on his way to the UFC. No, and you go through Harris's record you look at the wins, you look at the losses. He beat Jolton Luderbach, who's fought with every big organization yeah. and fought everybody you probably heard of. A win over Wellington Terman, a win over Demolador, Michelle Pereira. And then when he was over with Brave, he won the title and he was fighting against Carl Booth, a heck of a fighter. Yeah. And I, you've seen Carl Booth with Cage Warriors, you've seen him with different organizations. He's a really good fighter. He loses to draw Hussein Al Salawi, who's now with the PFL, if I'm not mistaken. And Salawi, I mean, at the time, he only had a couple losses on his record and he continued to hold the belt exactly. over there with Brave. I'd rather you lose to him than just keep on beating guys who are 0-11 your whole career. But after that, a lot of wins. And to me, Carlson Harris is one of those guys, like, if you knew New Japan Wrestling, then you knew the Bullet Club, and then they kind of made their way over they to did. North America. AEW well, to me, Carlson Harris is like that. So I've already let the cat out of the bag with the shirt in the first fight in the card. But if you look at it and you flip it on its head, Foreigner Magomedov, this guy, again, I say, is a known commodity. And he had that one loss early on in his career against Magomed Mustafayev where he took him down three times and a cut ended the fight. Exactly. So it was really tough loss there. Reminds me of like when Liz Carmouche lost to, or sorry, or beat Shevchenko, Valentina yeah. Shevchenko years and years ago. But you go down through the record for Abubakar Nurmagomedov and it starts when he's with World Series of Fighting. He takes on Moreno. He's a minus 800 favorite. The fight against Frenku, minus 450. The fight against Sean Howard, who at that point was a UFC vet, minus 385. The fight against Pavel Kusha, over with PFL, minus 1,400, and he loses that fight. The fight that he has against Jonathan Weston, minus 740. The fight against David Zavada, UFC debut, minus 315 favorite. He gets submitted in that. He goes for the takedown. Zavada sinks up the choke, which is a Carlson oh Harris type of thing. And then you go down through it. The fight against Good, minus 220. And the fight against Omar Gadjiev, or Omar Gadriev, minus 140 favorite. So, out of this again, Nurmagomedov, big favorite in all of these fights. We know how good his top pressure and his control are in these fights. And he pumps the jab. He pumps the jab. His right hand's good. He switches stances quite exactly. a bit to offer a, a different look. And with Abubakar Nurmagomedov, it's probably my mistake. But I compare him to a guy like Ramazan Amiv a little bit because Abubakar tends to box as the fights go on. 
But he's a little bit better with his gas tank. He's a little exactly. bit better with his output than a guy like Ramazan Amiv. Now, he leaves himself out there to get hit. And he drops his hands as the fight go on. But if you look at it for Nurmagomedov, no giant peaks and valleys. He tends to fight on a straight line. Whereas for Harris, I haven't necessarily seen that straight line fighter in a really long time. Because he's either finished the fight or he's been finished in the fight. So a tricky fight to try and cap if you're trying to make a pick on it. But when we're previewing this one, like, this is a really fun fight. And for Nurmagomedov, oh, yeah. his last time out against Omar Gadriev, a guy who fights in the peaks and valleys with his takedowns, the leg kick out of the southpaw position was a game changer for Nurmagomedov. In that it one. was. I gotta be honest, though. I do worry a little bit about Nurmagomedov striking. Not that it's bad by any means, but he has tended to do it a little bit more early on in his fights. And I think if he went out there and wrestled a lot against a guy like Harris, yes, Harris is dangerous with the submissions, but if you get past that first hurdle and actually get him on his back, I do think it makes for an easier fight for a guy like Nurmagomedov. Because on the feet, I do favor Harris, especially with his power. If he's able to get on the inside of the range of Nurmagomedov, you bring it up the footwork of Abubakar is very high level so it's gonna be difficult for Harris to really cut the cage off but I still do think I favor Harris in a lot of the straight striking matchups the thing about this fight though that I do have trouble with is the fact that it's a very close fight odds wise and I do agree with that I think this fight could go either way but I think once the time the fight is over it will be somewhat one-sided I think it's gonna be a fight where either Nurmagomedov goes out there really does stifle Harris with the jab and I think the jab is gonna be key because if he uses the jab to make Harris overcommit, that's gonna make Harris a lot more susceptible to the takedowns well, and, and a lot of people thought it was cool when Trevor Peaks started to throw those kind of crazy shots and he's hitting with the inside of his palm, but Carlson Harris does the same thing. He throws a lot of these hooks. He went one, two, three hooks against Kasanganai, and then it was a grounded pound that finished the fight off. But if you watch it for Harris... He commits a lot to these shots, and his life story is kind of reminiscent of a guy that we had fighting recently in Themba Grimbo, who left Zimbabwe at a younger age for South Africa for a better life. For Carlson Harris on Dana White's looking for a fight, he said, listen, about 10 years ago, I left my family in Guyana for Brazil to start training in MMA and really try and just improve the overall quality of life. And then after the win, Dana looks at Habib and he says, word for word, I'm going to go get positioned in the room where I'm going to do this thing. I mean, my goodness. How confused was Habib? Uh, Did he think about calling security and warning Carlson? He probably thought, is he going to try and have this talk again with me on ABC? Like, is this what we're doing again? He's going to try and reel me back into fighting. But when it does come down to it, you look at the odds. The favorite is Carlson Harris. The underdog is Abubakar Nurmagomedov. We have a look at the fan vote, Matt. Surprise to us, it is to you. We're going to have a look over on Topology. I'm going to say over, under... Abubakar Nurmagomedov tends to be a fan favorite. I'm actually going to say over under. It's going to be close. 60% Nurmagomedov. I was thinking 70 for Harris. So I'm going to say you said 60 for Abubakar. Yeah. I'll say under. You're going to say under. And look at that. So 604 total votes. 57% Harris. 54% by submission. For the 43% that have Nurmagomedov. 79% by decision. And for Nurmagomedov, we haven't seen a finish win in years exactly. and years and years and years. And his striking looked great against Jared Gooden who just kept his hands down because he was so afraid of the takedown. So in this matchup, I think Harris would be more accepting of a takedown than some of the recent opponents, but it's a tough fight for either man. And again, you're only two and one each of these guys in the UFC. Ferner Magomedov over three years ago is when he made his debut. Harris has been the more active fighter, though he hasn't fought in a year. So I'm really eager to see what we get out of this. Can we give the topology voters a little bit of shine, though? Because I think that's an educated vote saying Harris is going to win by submission for the reasons you had brought up. Abubakar Nurmagomedov is a guy who will leave his head open on a takedown. Now, that's the problem I have with this fight. 
Harris can take advantage of the grappling when it's standing, if you will, or at least on the transitions before they hit the mat. I think when it does hit the mat, we will see the Mega Medoff not dominate. I think that's a step too far, but at least do better. He's in the top position. He's very heavy from that spot. So I think if he can avoid some of the transitionary uh, submissions of Harris, he could have success. But the problem is we have seen Omega Medoff struggle or at least become more of a striker at this point of his career. So I'll be curious to see what kind of a game plan he has coming into this fight against Harris. I'm actually going to go with the underdog in this fight. I do have Nomega Medoff. I do think his wrestling is going to be good enough for the reasons I brought up. If he gets submitted in the first round, I will raise my hand and admit, hey, that's a great way for him to lose. But I think he will get past that initial threshold of the submission. I've been out here giving Carlson Harris his flowers for the past two weeks because we talked about him a lot when we broke down Shavkat Rachmanov's last fight because of how talented of a name he is to have on your resume. But I'm going to go with the slight underdog because I do think Nomega Medoff's wrestling is going to at least bank him two rounds. I mean, it feels like that 1986 Ozzy Osbourne song, Shot in the Dark. I mean, it's it's tough to tell who's going to win this one. Abubakar Nurmagomedov, for as good as he is, again, the combat sambo lineage that he has, he's an international master of sport in combat sambo under the tutelage of Abdul Manap. He's got that in his back pocket. He likes to leave the neck out, and when he yeah. goes for it, sometimes he'll reach for that single leg, and he tends to go low on the knee and then ride it up high crotch to go for the dump. That's exactly how Carlson Harris has finished so many opponents, locking up the guillotine, then doing the roll, getting his anaconda choke. I like Carlson Harris in the matchup just because there's some lapses in the striking now. For Bubakar Nurmagomedov, for this fight in particular, he's trained at a lot of different gyms. This one seems like from his Instagram, it's at AKA San Jose. Javier Mendez loves to bring in those boys he to does. train. So I do like Harris ever so slightly in the fight, but there's definitely value That's in Nurmagomedov, who's been a favorite all the time, every time, and now you get him as an underdog. We're split on the pick, Matt going with Nurmagomedov. I'm going to go with Guyana's Carlson Harris, a big time fight. 14 total on the card. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's get into it. Coming up this weekend, 39-year-old flyweight Tyson Ham has fought some of the world's best since he debuted as a pro back in 2006 when Matt Allen was 8. I was. And coming up, he's going to be trying to turn away yet another top-tier prospect in the Bulldog, Bruno Silva, a guy who's been out of action for quite some time. And for Tyson Ham... Like Roy Jones Jr. back in 2021, Tyson Am was able to go out there, turn back the clock, and you look at some of these wins that he's had. I mean, my goodness, for Tyson Am, last time out, giant underdog, Ode Osborne knocks him out. I mean, it's just like, stop Virgil Hill with a body shot. Y'all must have forgot. Tyson Nam, And that was a right hook to the body, too, which no one had ever seen before. A left hook to the body, okay, it's a liver shot. Roy Jones put him down with a right hook. But, I mean, Nam, going back through the record, even on the 5 on end, he's got a loss to Kai Care France, a loss to Match Chanel by split decision. The knockout wins. Zaruk Adeshev, Jerome Rivera, and that last one last year against Ode Osborne really put him over with a lot of people. And Nam, you look at the even just the loss in the UFC, comes in on short notice and fights Sergio Pettis and loses that fight. Pettis went on to do good things, not only in the UFC, or he had already done good things exactly. in the UFC, went on to win that Bellator title, and it held a lot of water with a lot of people because... He knocked out Kyoji Horiguchi, who's still a pretty darn good fighter. So in this matchup, you have Gracie Technic's own... Tyson Nam, he's training with a former foe turn, I mean, a coach in Russell Doan. So a lot of big things there for Nam. But he did an interview with JHK, the All-Star MMA. And the quotable out of it and the title out of it was, 
Like, he likes to throw that right, and I like to throw that right hand. We can play right hand for right hand. I like that gamble. So, out of Tyson Am, he's excited for it. Bruno Silva, last two fights, knockout wins. He's got performance bonuses in the OC. Knocked down JP Bays three times in the second round till he finished him, and he knocked out Victor Rodriguez last time out. But we haven't seen Bruno Silva in a meaningful Hot, amount man. of time, almost two years. He's a fight-ready guy. He competed on the Ultimate Fighter years and years ago. So Bruno Silva got a lot of catching up to do, even though he's on a two-fight win streak. Tyson now hot off that win over Ode exactly. Osborne, and now that win ages well off what Osborne looked like against Charles Johnson a couple of weeks ago. So this fight, I know it's outside of the rankings, but there's a lot to be excited about, a matchup of two guys that not only in the quotable, you know it from watching their fights. They like to throw the right hand. They certainly do. I just wish Tyson Nam weighed 10 more pounds so we could fight Cody Garbrandt because I think he's too perfect of an opponent for him. I really do. Uh, that's kind of besides the fact that it's just a little side note, but I really like Tyson Nam for what he is, but the problem is you do know what you're going to get with Tyson Nam. Like, he is a very technical striker. He's extremely accurate. He throws great straight shots. He mixes the kicks in well, but... On the inside, he does struggle with guys who are better power punchers, and I would say Bruno Silva can follow a game plan similar to that. He, Bruno Silva, what I do like about him is he realizes that his boxing can synergize with his wrestling, and he does mix the two together quite well. Now, I don't see that working in this fight at I, all. I don't, because I do think the rest, or sorry, the movement of Nam is going to give him quite a bit of an advantage with that, but I still think Nam is going to struggle if Silva does get on that inside range. The thing is, for Nam, at what point is the age going to catch up to him? I know 39 years old isn't young for any division outside of the heavyweight division, but normally when we talk about guys in the featherweight, bantamweight, flyweight division, it's what, 32, 33? We worry about them slowing down. And for Nam, to his credit, he still has been able to maintain that athleticism to this stage of his career. But at 39, I think that is a fair point to bring up and just something to be concerned about. Well, I mean, last weekend we had question marks, the Trevin Jones fight against Garbrandt. They had poor recent runs. For Bruno Silva, he started off UFC 243, the UFC debut, and he's taking on Khalid Taha. He gets dropped in the first round. He gets submitted in the third round. And then Taha has a little bit of a USAD issue for furosemide. So Bruno Silva goes out there, loses to David Dvorak. But it's a close enough fight. He loses to Tagirul on backup. Some people thought that Bruno Silva won like, that those fight. Those are two really good fighters to fight coming off of a no contest. And then he no beats Baze, who I couldn't believe it. He's still in the UFC. Is he's he lost really? three fights and, and a couple of them by knockout, but he's still in the UFC. They threw that graphic up there last weekend when Cameron Simon and Drikas Duplessis were fighting, and he knocks out Victor Rodriguez, who was promptly cut from the UFC. And I had just... I, I said not nice things about Victor Rodriguez. It wrote a character on my part. I apologize to Victor Rodriguez, but... That win's a little tricky. So for Nam, we hold him with some reverence, but I will say this about Tyson Nam. Number one in UFC history with fewest or, or lowest bottom percentage time at 0% and 0% being caught on the bottom as well or 0, you know, seconds, minutes, so to speak. So he's tied there with Adrian, it's pronounced Yanez, Adrian Yanez. So both those guys never been taken down and never been held down. So for Tyson Am coming into this one, we know how good the striking can be. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt for Bruno Silva, who was featured on Dana White's contender, sorry, the Ultimate Fighter Brazil Season 4 at the age of 24 in 2015. He broke Gustavo Sedario's jaw and then he got submitted by Daniel Lopez, who went on to uh, go to the finals of that season. But when it really does come down to this one, Matt, again, Nam's 3-3 three three in the UFC. Bruno Silva's what? 2 and two with an old contest, call it two and three. When you look at this, though, I'm surprised that we've had so much inactivity from Bruno Silva, so considering much. that the nickname's the Bulldog, he trains a fight ready, 
His main coach is Eric Albarasin. He spends a lot of time with Henry Cejudo, who's going to be fighting Aljamain Sterling, upweight class at UFC 288 in May for the title. And for Silva, he's been a Pitbull Brothers guy, too, for a really long time as well. So Bruno Silva, to me, in my mind's eye, he's got a much more diverse skill set than a guy like Tyson Nam. But Nam, to his credit, good takedown defense. He's beaten really good wrestlers like Ali Bogutinov when he was with Fight Nights Global. And for Nam, what has he not seen that a guy like Bruno Silva can bring to him. That's the interesting thing for me. I know you're 100% right. This is what I can openly admit. I feel like I'm a little too high on Tyson Nam after the O'Day Osborne win. And, and listen, we didn't pick Tyson Nam to beat O'Day no, Osborne no, no. either. And, uh, so. so that's what I'm openly admitting right now. As the underdog, I kind of want to say, hey, Tyson Nam's going to go in there. He is the more technical guy. But Bruno Silva has a skill set that can beat guys like Tyson Nam. For as pretty as the striking is of Tyson Nam, he can get caught in a mirror sometimes. He does struggle with guys who can get on the inside and really rush him. And the thing about Nam is, he does strike well off the back foot. But do you know how we know that? It's because he is willing to give up distance a lot in his fights. And the thing about Bruno Silva is, when he's the one getting pressure, does he struggle in fights? Yes, he can. But when he's the guy moving forward and throwing those vicious hooks, he does have a lot of success. And I'll be very curious to see if Silva goes to the body in this matchup because I think that will be open, especially for some of his boxing combinations. And if Nam is using that high guard, moving his feet very well, I think the body shots will be open. So again, there's a part of me that wants to pick the technique of Tyson Nam, but this is a really fun fight to open the card. That's what I've been saying. Like, for a fight night card, a free card on a Saturday to open with Carlson Harris versus Abubakar Nurmagomedov and Tyson Nam versus Bruno Silva, that's a pretty good free card to have. The guy picked up two bonuses and then decided to ride off into the sunset now fighting Tyson Nam. But if you look at it for Bruno Silva, the best part of his game with that right hand is he can blend in his combinations. And you watch him feint the jab to then throw the right hand and he had a right cross knockdown against JP Bays. He hit him with an uppercut that knocked him down and then the last one was a straight right hand that was able to get it done and against poor Victor Rodriguez. I mean overhand right got it done but it was that double pump feint and he did it three times. He did double pump feint Reset, double pump, faint, reset, and then he was able to land that knockout blow. So you have a look at the odds in this one. Bruno Silva is favored to get the win. Tyson Am, the underdog. We have a look at the topology vote. Surprise to us, they are to you. I'm going to say the fans are going with the younger fighter in a two-fight win streak. I'm going to say over, under, 67.5% Silva. I think they'll be under. I think it'll be a really close vote. It's going to be close. It's the opposite. Wow. 619 total votes. 71% Nam. 46% by decision, 48% by knockout for the 29% that have Silva, 60% by decision. So the fans are going with Nam, who's the underdog. Who and are I you get going? it. You know? Who are you going with here? Like I just said, like I get it. I, I feel like a pick for Tyson Nam is not a foolish pick by any means. But I do find myself keep on going back to, well... Tyson Nam might have a bit of the counter for what Bruno Silva does, but I do see Silva being the advancing fighter, and I do think he will land more damaging shots. Now, if Tyson Nam wins a decision based on volume, I'm okay with that, but I do think Bruno Silva is going to slightly edge out this fight, but he needs to be a little bit more active, because again, if you make a three-fight win streak and you cap that off with a win over Tyson Nam, you are bound to get a big matchup your next time out there, so it would be nice to see Bruno Silva get back in there in four or five months if he is able to get the win. Well, and he gets to do the reverse Uno and go, y'all must have forgot, because I mean, just like Roy Jones punching the water in that pool, he can go out there, get that win against Tyson Nam. That's part of the music video. It is. But when it comes down to it, I'll go with Tyson Nam in this one. For Bruno Silva to get back after the time away, he had fought some lesser guys when he made that UFC debut at UFC 243. It started off a giant card. There were 57,000 plus people at Marvel what an Stadium that must have been. for that card. And Silva gets dropped in the first round. Nam is one of those guys that cuts the cage with hooks. And against a guy like Bruno Silva, 
advancing with those different right-hand combinations. I can see Nam picking up the success there. So I'll go with the underdog. We're split on the, split pick. On the first two. I've got Tyson Nam, Matt going with Bruno Silva. Some big-time fights on this card. 14 total, headlined by, ooh boy. It's Pyrion taking on what a great Marab Dashvili. Some great fights. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, as we always say. Let's, Let's get into it. Coming up this weekend with 59 total fights between them. We have a couple of Bantamweights looking to make moves like old Cougs when it comes to closing time. Tony Gravely wow. taking on Victor Henry. They're going to look to lean on that experience and pick up something big. And when you look at both of these guys, Matt, for Victor Henry, I'd say in his UFC debut, he overachieved. He took on Howie yeah. Barcelos and he fought like he's never fought before. He went out there and put on a performance for the like ages and outstruck Howie Barcelos and threw volume like we had never seen. And for Henry and for both of these guys, champions on the regional scene. Henry was a former deep champion over in Asia. He fought some of the world's best. And outside of just fighting with Deep and fighting with some of those different organizations, Pancrase, another one, you look at the names on the resume. He beat Albert Morales to get that shot in the UFC, which was on short notice. He beat Masanori Kanehara, a guy who's a champion over with Ryzen right now. He beat Kyler Phillips by split decision. Beat Yuki Motoya to win that deep belt. Beat Anderson Dos Santos, who ended up in the UFC. And the one win that I wanted to talk about, he beat Masakatsu Ueda, a guy who had a win over Kyoji Horiguchi in his career as well. So some really, really big names, even though Ueda beat him after that fact. Some giant names on that record for Victor Henry. He's a grappling ace. He really did get it done. He was one of those guys that had good offensive wrestling, but... If you took down Victor Henry, you really had to worry exactly. about his sneaky, sneaky, slick submissions. And for Henry, he found his groove against Barcelos with the strikes. He was a giant underdog in the fight. He came in a giant favorite against Rafael Asuncao, who had dropped many, many, many fights. And we know Asuncao for getting up to as close as, well, he's ranked number three in the division at multiple points when he took on Marlon Moraes, when he took on TJ Dillashaw in the rematch. And for Victor Henry, I mean, Asuncao just decided, well... I went to Extreme Couture for this camp. I'm going to throw rest. veteran Savi out there. And Henry didn't have any of those things that he had in that Barcelos fight. So for Henry, CMMA protege. He's the, what is it, team captain at that gym. You know, for Weber Almeida. Recently, Eric Gonzalez cross-trained there who fights in the UFC. So Victor Henry, great lineage, great gym. That's the Josh Barnett gym. And... I want to see more of what I saw in that Barcelos fight. He left me wanting more. He definitely did. And when you look at Tony Gravely, I mean, an app state guy. He was a D1 wrestler there. He was a two-time Virginia high school wrestling champ before he really transitioned to college. And then MMA. Tony Gravely had an extensive amateur background. He had an extensive time with King of the Cage, CS, and multiple organizations before landing a contender series now the UFC. For Gravely, overachieved in certain points, underachieved in certain fights. But now we're here with two guys that are on the fringe of the rankings in a loaded Bantamweight division. And you heard it, Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier last weekend. This is now all of a sudden kind of their premier division. So they've really kind of been getting that finger to the pulse. Is it your favorite division right now? It could I think be. lightweight for me is still the best. Because for me, lightweight has the names to go along with the talent. But again, it's just personal preference at this point. It, it is really difficult to try and guess. I, like for me, yeah, I'll say it. Yeah, Bantamweight is yeah. the best division. I, Bantamweight's deep AF. Like Bantamweight goes 25 deep and anybody could beat anybody. So again, if you say Bantamweight, I'm not, not going to disagree. Like Featherweight's on fire too right now. You ever heard about Welterweight? Like there's so many great divisions right now that are so deep with such great talent. If you just said what you 
said to us and to me to like some random person on the street featherweight so is great right now welterweight is too they would think that you're a crazy person but when it does come down to this one and where i really do cap this off it's closing time i mean time for you to go out i know who i want to take me home and from the places you will be from when it comes to victor henry he's almost 36 when he you look is. at it for gravely he's almost 32 i guess he's kind of in the middle there a tweener between 31 and 32 but a lot of road miles on both of these guys and we can break down all of the fights we really can you look at it for them, for Gravely. I mean, he's training for this one, an American top team. Adriano Moraes, Alessandro Pantoja. You've got Kyoji Horiguchi, so I'll throw the picture up there. Brazilian, or he's a black belt in Taekwondo. His dad ran a Taekwondo school for years. But for Gravely, he'll pump the jab out there. He's got a great right hand with that overhand. A ton of power. He can tie you up. He can take you down. And already... He's third all-time in the Bantamweight division with 30 takedowns in six UFC fights. He had 11 against Simon Oliveira. Only Marab Doashvili and Ricky Simone have landed more takedowns in the Bantamweight division than Tony Gravely. We're going to see if that plays out against Victor Henry, but a tough task, just like that Simon Oliveira fight was too, because Henry is very advanced with his jiu-jitsu. He certainly is, and I do think the grappling is going to be a big component of this fight, and I do expect the majority of this fight to be contested on the feet, but I will say this, I do favor Gravely on the feet. I know we have seen Henry throw a lot of volume, but I still think the threat of the wrestling is going to open up some of the power shots for a guy like Tony Gravely, but it's weird that Gravely is getting a matchup like this against a guy who is almost 36 and I do get it to a certain point because Gravely to me you hate to use this term but I'm going to use it anyways he's kind of a cleaner of the division like when Tony Gravely beats you you probably have to go back, take some time off at least, and start to redevelop your game. Not to say he's a bad fighter by any means, but the majority of the time, Gravely's someone who should be fighting prospects because we know what he excels at. You mentioned it. It's the right hand. It's the wrestling. Does he leave openings open for guys who are sort of that top-tier prospect to submit him, to out-volume him on the feet? Of course he does, but that's why I think this fight against Victor Henry is so fun because like you had mentioned, Victor Henry, we got the best version of him in his UFC debut against Barcelos, and uh, saying the worst version of him is harsh to his son, Sal, because I don't think a Sun Sao is completely washed. Like, a Sun Sao is still a very he skilled He just struggles fighter. with right hands. Right hooks in particular. This is my comp for a, uh, a Rafael Sun Sao. He's the Ichiro Suzuki of the UFC. We can get more into that by the time we predict his fight. But for Victor Henry, I do favor his volume on the feet. I just don't know if he's going to be as confident in throwing those shots with the threat of a guy like Tony Gravely's wrestling going underneath. So for Gravely, I do see those openings for a lot of his power shots, but it really comes up to him because the best version of Tony Gravely mixes his striking and his wrestling extremely well. The worst version of Gravely throws his strikes from the outside resets and then goes for a takedown from the outside and gets countered a lot off that. Victor Henry defended six of seven Barcelos takedown attempts. Barcelos is a very good wrestler and good at jiu-jitsu and he's an even better striker. Victor Henry landed 222 of 397 total strikes. I've never in my life seen Victor Henry put on a performance like that. And I've watched a lot of Victor Henry fights. I've seen him go out there against Kanehara, struggle with the takedown defense at the start of the fight, get his back taken, and then rally in the second round with his striking his jiu-jitsu. So for Henry, I love the package. For Tony Gravely, same thing is done. But like the old Cougs, will they be about that package? We'll find out in the matchup, Matt. When you look at the odds, Henry is slightly favored. Again, he was roughly a... Plus 375 underdog against Barcelos and a 4 to 1 favorite against uh, Asunso. So it's been peaks and valleys with those. Now they're trying to reset it. Gravely's last time out lost to Javid Basharat. 
who shares some similarities with a guy like Victor Henry. Before that, two big wins over Simon Oliveira. Johnny Munoz Jr. dropped them on that quick in-between in when Munoz is trying to change levels. If you look at it, a fight of the night in the UFC for Gravely against Brett Johns. You want to see scrambles, brother? That's the fight. And a performance bonus over Anthony Burchak, a guy who's very adept at the grappling. So again, odds slightly favor Henry. The underdog is Gravely. We look at the fan vote on this one, and I bet people are left scratching their heads. I know I am. I'm going to say over under 55% Henry because he's the favorite. I think it's I under. I don't have a good gauge on it. You're going to say it's under. All right. So we have a look. And it's over. over. 612 total votes. 63% Henry. 87% by decision. For the 37% that have gravelly. 81% by decision. It's CMMA versus ATT. Coast to coast. It's like B.I.G. and Tupac, but not quite. Matt, when you look at this matchup. I have a rap reference too for this. I mean, what's the pick and what's the rap reference? Do you like 50 Cent? I love the walkout to 50 Cent last weekend. I'm not a 50 Cent fan. Hate it or love it, the underdog's on top. Oh I got Tony Gravely in the matchup. I do think his wrestling, again, I worry about him leaving his neck open for submissions. That's something we brought up in every single prediction video we have ever talked about with Tony Gravely. I'm kind of surprised neither one of us had mentioned it up until this point, but I still think the wrestling is going to be enough of an X factor for him to be able to open up with his striking. Now, I worry about the volume a little bit, but like you had mentioned, Victor Henry had never fought like that up until Howdy Barcelos. And I feel like Barcelos, for him, I've mentioned this a lot of times, we kind of talked about it with Carlson Harris. He came to the UFC and got into his prime maybe a little bit too late in life. So for Barcelos, it could have just been an off night for him, and that's why Henry looks so good. So for really odds are at, for what I've known out of Tony Gravely's skill set, I do like Gravely in this matchup. And you do have it, like, really close in terms of height and reach with both of these guys. And for Victor Henry, it's the great reset because you went too far with Barcelos, exactly. and then he won. Then you tried to get him a win over a former guy who was just at the top for the longest time in a sun And he doesn't get it done. So now we're kind of here against Tony Gravely. So you get to figure out the playing field for both of these men. I have Tony Gravely as well as the underdog in the matchup. Let's go, Craig. For me, it's with the wrestling. It's a tough fight when you're trying to offer up a prediction because Henry, he's got the counter with the defensive jiu-jitsu. Exactly. He's great with his offensive grappling. His volume's been there in certain fights. Not just the Barcelos fight, but we'd never seen that out of him before. So it really is a difficult one to try and give you a really accurate pick and prediction on it. Hopefully you enjoyed the preview. Both of us with Tony Gravely in the matchup. And listen, 14 total fights out there on this card. Headlined by Jan versus Dwalishvili in this division. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's get into it. Coming up this weekend, win, move on, lose, go home. In the flyweight division, we have J.J. Aldrich taking on the queen of violence, Ariane Lipsky. And for both of these women in their last respective fights, they were both finished. Albeit, J.J. Aldrich lost to the now number three ranked divisional darling, Aaron Blanchfield. Had a good first round against her. And Ariane Lipsky had a weird reshuffling of a fight that was due at 125, but it was up at Bantamweight against Priscilla Cachueta, who still unranked and she got finished in that fight and didn't really look like her normal self in that one either so Lipsky's trying to get back on the hump and if you look at it for Ariane Lipsky at one point in her career KSW 42 Matosh Gamrat he's a champ Tomasz Narkoon he's a champ Poster has both of them in the challengers and in the middle with a ray of light it's Ariane Lipsky with the belt. She was a poster athlete with KSW she was a reigning defending champ there and in that fight well, she had already beaten Diana Balbizia to win the title. She defended it twice. The last defense against La Malvada. Savannah Gomez-Juarez in a wild fight. And then Lipsky ends up in the UFC. 
And now at this point, Matt, not going off all that great. And well, that's kind of the crazy yeah. part. Lipsky right now is at the same point that she was at when she started her pro career because Lipsky started off two and three in professional MMA with fights against Diana Torcado, Giselle Moreira, and Diana Formino. And all of those women are very, very good. So exactly. tough competition when you start. But if you look at it for Lipsky in the run in the UFC, consider it. She's a KSW champ. She comes in and she loses to Joanne Wood. Well, that's definitely a litmus test. Exactly. And Wood at that point was still quite credentialed. Crafty vet. She loses to Molly McCann. She beats Isabella de Padua. She beats Luana Carolina. Loses to Shevchenko. Loses to uh, De La Rosa. Beats Berm. And then loses to Cachueta. The craziest part about it is... If you look at it for Lipsky, she beats De Padua, who comes in on short notice. She mops her. That's De Padua's only fight in the UFC. Go back to the regional scene. She beats Luana Carolina, who is a decent UFC fighter to this point. She's 3-2 in the UFC. That was a contender for 2020 submission of the year, was that knee bar. And she was mean about it. She stood up and let out a primal yell. And she gets the win. Then she loses to Shevchenko. She beats Mandy Berm, who's 0-2 in the UFC to this point. So the wins... Haven't been against the greatest level of competition. The losses are to fighters who were at one point ranked or could have been ranked, except for Priscilla Cachueta. So now it's weird because Lipsky has a great reset. And for JJ Aldrich, the highs have been highs. Some of the lows have been lows. Her last fight out, we can really break it down skill for skill, shot for shot against Aaron Blanchfield, but she gets submitted. Standing guillotine choke. Aldrich, forever Colorado, grew up there, trained there, elevation fight team with some of the best women that you're going to find in these divisions that she trains with. But Matt, it's a tricky fight because J.J. Aldrich fights on a line and Ariane Lipsky has the peaks and valleys. And it's tough to try and offer a prediction on peaks and valley fighters. I have no idea how Lipsky wins this fight, if I'm being completely honest. I don't like being one-sided in all of my analysis, but this is the thing about Aldrich that I really do like. She's good defensively. Really across the board. Like, she keeps her hands up, which is pretty important. She throws good volume, I would say. It's nothing over... She's not Max Holloway on the feet or anything. But she has good boxing, I would say. Good defensively, keeps the hands up. Is difficult to take down and doesn't eat power shots. If you're Lipsky, I don't think the big flurries are really going to work on the feet. I don't think the kicks are going to work because Aldrich does do a good job moving forward with her attack. And the thing is, it's very difficult to throw kicks when you're moving backwards. Yeah, your Rodriguez is a once-in-a-lifetime athlete, guys. It's it, like He doesn't come around all that often. So for Lipsky, if she is able to use those Tony Ferguson front kicks, I think it could work very well for her because Aldrich is someone who doesn't use a lot of kicks. But again, her boxing isn't the forefront of her game. So I do expect Aldrich to have the better offense with the volume and to be better defensively so for me I struggle to see how Lipsky wins other than her being able to go out there and get a finish or a big action throughout this fight because the queen of violence is her nickname but I think it's fair to say that we have well, not seen the queen of violence in a meaningful period nice. of time she looked pretty good in the 2020 win win 2021 win against Mandy Berm she was pushing but a pace is it fair to say though I think JJ Aldridge would probably beat Priscilla Cachoeira I think she beat Montana De La Rosa even though it'll be a close fight but I think her defensive wrestling is good enough not saying I'm right just because I said it and I do think she beat Antonina Shevchenko just because Shevchenko's all oh, over the board originally I, this fight was actually booked for last year this time last year Lipsky withdrew and then you had Aldrich going out there and beating Jillian Robertson just, my whole thing about JJ Aldrich is to me remember how you say for the longest time Dustin Jacoby was the 16th ranked light heavyweight like hey if you're going to be ranked you beat him and if you lose to him you're not going to be ranked Aldridge is that fighter to me, and I just struggle to see Lipsky having a complete enough game to really make it into the rankings. Well, I mean, for Aldridge, 7-4 in the UFC, she came in on the Ultimate Fighter Season 23, got a win. 
then got finished by Tatiana Suarez, who to this point still you know, undefeated. But if you look at it for Aldridge, she's been fighting since 2010 as an amateur. Amateur debut with Rocky Mountain Bad Boys, the promotion. So 7-4 UFC. Again, you go through the record. She does have that last win against Jillian Robertson. She outstruck Aaron Blanchfield. Looked really good at the boxing in the first round. Blanchfield then was able to close that distance. Exactly. Got that submission win as it went on. She has good counter-wrestling in general, does J.J. Aldridge. Her boxing can be up and down when she gives up distance. She's actually a negative striker in terms of numbers in the UFC. 4.05 significant strikes landed per minute to 4.54 received. Negative 4 or 0.49 strike differential in the UFC. The favorite is Aldrich, open minus 145. She's about a minus 250 favorite. Lipsky, open plus 125, plus 200 right now. Pretty rich for unranked women's flyweights. You have a look at the top Aldrich votes. Matt, surprise to us there to you. I'm going to say over under 75% Aldrich. I would say over. You've been pretty one-sided. The, oh, 649 total a good votes. job up until now. 74% Aldrich, 26% Lipsy. I, too, think Aldrich is going to win the fight. However, if Lipsky can be the advancing party, landing the bigger shots in the flurries and then backing off and not giving Aldrich the time to set back up and get into a rhythm, Aldrich is a rhythm-based fighter. And if you can break her out of that... You can kind of beat her at times. So for Lipsky, she can go out there, land those front kicks, land the teep kicks, and change things. And when you look at it for the grappling, as good of a defensive, you know, wrestling specialist, I guess you could call J.J. Aldrich, because you don't see her go out there for a lot of take damage. Courtney Casey fight, maybe, but you don't see that at the forefront of her game. If Lipsky's going to be able to go out there, counter some of that, utilize her grappling skills, she herself training at ATT with some of the best women in the world. So both these women from power gyms for their respective, you know, game plans that we've seen so far. I like J.O.J. Aldrich out of the steadiness, but again, Peak and Valley fighters are really, really hard to try and offer up a prediction on. It's a terrible comparison, but I'm going to make it. Aldrich, to me, is like Russell Westbrook. Like, the floor is raised for your team if you have J.J. Aldrich could be an MVP. No, no, no. But Aldrich, like, the thing about Westbrook is, if he's on your team, your floor is going to be high because at least he's going to go out there and get, like, a 30-point triple-double. The problem is the ceiling will be all that high because once you make it to the playoffs, other guys out there are going to be able to out-ISO him in close games, and the other superstars of the league are going to be able to outplay him in those situations. For Aldrich, I just see her as someone who has a high floor but not a high ceiling because again she's good defensively pretty much across the board and you bring up she is a negative striker but the one thing is her strikes landed per minute are quite high they are above the UFC average and I do think that her with her output is going to have quite a bit of success against Lipsky who does have a very high guard tends to be a little bit more defensive on the feet until she can really land some of those powerful camera shots again I can admit this in every UFC video we've ever done I feel like I'm slightly higher on JJ Aldridge than most people are but I just give her the respect that she deserves because again she's a top fight for anybody in the division. I don't think she's going to go out there and beat Valentina or anything like that, but again, she can defend takedowns. She's hard to hit clean. She's going to offer you a difficult fight no matter who you are. Matt, a very difficult fight to offer that prediction up. Both of us going with Colorado's JJ Aldrich to get the win. Some big fights on this card. Volkov Romanov in the co-main event in the main. Jan versus Dwellish, really. Can't wait for it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. Banger coming up on the prelims. We have Argentinian Ninja. It's Guido Canetti taking on the MMA Labs own Mario Bautista. And if somebody in Argentina or Latin America haven't made a movie about this guy's life, you better acquire the rights. Like, go out there right now by www.guidocanetti'slifestory.com 
and you're probably like, you know, fixing for a payday because this guy right now, at age 42 last year, picked up two giant wins and sent two guys packing from the UFC. He beat Chris Moutinho by standing TKO. He beat Randy Costa by submission early on in the fights in the first round. And Guido, the coach at Our Town MMA, back home in Argentina, just continues to put it on. I'll throw it up there. A clip of Guido going out there, lifting weights, kicking the crap out of his coach's you know, guard. He's going out there, hitting the heavy bag, and then doing it all over again. Guido is a physical specimen at 43. I would give up six inches of my height to look like him when I'm 43. And the craziest part about it is, Matt, we touched on this in videos. At 34, Guido was on The Ultimate Fighter. He lost two fights on The Ultimate Fighter. Enough. Well, you lose one, usually go home. He lost two. And they went, you know what? We like this guy. They put him on the finale, which was UFC 180. He lost that fight. He loses three fights in a row. And they went, hey... You want to fight a UFC 190? Yeah. And then he goes out there and wins. If you consider it, Guido Canetti, after the age of 34, started off at 2-5 and five in the UFC. And none of the two guys that he beat stuck around. So it was just crazy to see that. The last three losses to Guido going into this win streak. Marlon Berry gets submitted. One of the best fighters in the world. Bakaridana, where Guido showed those kicks at the start, and then he got knocked out. And a split decision lost to Mano Martinez, where Guido started out really well, which was kind of a story of his career, and then he faded as the fight went on. And Mana had the extenuating circumstances. Exactly. His coach had just passed away. I thought Mana won that fight, to be fair. I don't they, know what you would say. They shuffled it, but. it, but for Guido, the last two wins over Chris Mutino, over Andy Costa, giant wins. And the other part about Guido's overall career arc and the resurgence is he's been an underdog in every single UFC fight which he is in this one as well so it's just crazy to see all of this he rallied Argentinians around him and the craziest part about it is right now think about Argentinian MMA Guido Canetti's 43 and having success Santiago Ponzinibbio is in the later stages of his 30s Still he's having talent. success the younger fighters like Francisco Prado Eileen Perez, and then of course, we did see it here recently, and it was just what, last weekend we had a young Argentinian coming in, former champ, who did not have success, Guido's leading the charge, you think about athletes after 40, Matt, and I think of the rare circumstances like, Yoel, Yoel Romero, Tom Brady, Nolan Ryan, Brandon Guido Canetti. Like, these are guys after 40 having success. So good for Guido Canetti. Fun fact, I have a friend who recently went to uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina. Said it was the most beautiful place they have ever been to and that the people were nothing but lovely. So shut up, Buenos Aires. Here's the thing about Guido Canetti, though. It feels like at 43, he just realizes what he is at this stage of his career. Like I think he, he has, always did. But yes, he has to come in a bit with a big storm, but you kind of realize that at 43. So I guess you're right, but he's more set in his ways. I think that's fair to say. Like, if he's going to go out there and get a finished win, it's probably going to be in the first round. Is he going to fall off after that first round? Yes, I think that's fair to say. And Mario Bautista, because I feel like we spent a lot of time talking about Guido Canetti, Mario Bautista is an interesting fighter, because recently you would probably think that the grappling is at the forefront of his game, because he has looked really good with the submissions as of late, but this guy has big power in his hands when he is able to land it, and I really like some of the boxing technique of Mario Bautista, but he reminds me of a lot of guys who are fresh to the NBA. You guys know how much I love basketball. He reminds me a little bit of like a Jalen Green. Like, he's great offensively, but gives up a little bit defensively because of it. Mario Bautista, when he's throwing his combinations, he's not a guy who, when he throws the right hand, keeps the left hand tucked by his face, like a Dustin Poirier, or like even a Jalen Turner, who's a great boxer in his own right. Mario Bautista is a guy who will throw some flurries a la almost Cody Garbrandt, and that does leave him open in some of his fights, but that's why I do like this test for Mario Bautista 
He's looked good as of late, but he still needs to really solidify himself as a legit contender in the division. And I'm not saying beating a guy like Guido Canetti is going to really prove you as such, but that's a good one to have on your resume. And if you look at it for Bautista, he comes into the UFC and takes on Corey Sandhagen. And it was a wild first round, like a quick takedown, and then Sandhagen drops him, gets a takedown, Sandhagen gets a finish. But a fight of the night against Jin Susan, a performance bonus against Miles Johns, where he's the underdog, and he knocked him out. Johns is good. Then he gets finished by Trevin Jones, which is wild, just where Trevin Jones is at in his career. He beats Jay Perrin, beats Brian Kelleher, beats Benito Lopez. Those all last year for Bautista. So he is absolutely rolling. And for Kennedy, like if you just threw up a highlight tape, if they wanted to list three good things about Guido Kennedy, I'll list three. Roundhouse kick to the body, inside leg kick from Southpaw, lead hook, and those are the things that Guido does well. hands for 43. And you can take those to the bank. For Bautista, it's boxing combinations, utilizing his 69-inch reach, which might sound weird because he doesn't have a much longer reach than Kennedy, but with Bautista, it's a long jab to set up the right cross, or he throws it from an overhand position. And Bautista can be lights out with his own grappling. And you know the MMA lab for Sean O'Malley that we'll touch on later. You know him for, of course, Benson Henderson, who has a fight this week over with Bellator. I love a smooth Benson Henderson fight but for Bautista it's all the parts and parcels to his game and then mixing in the power shots not leading with the power shots like a guy like Kennedy will tend to do but when you're 43 and you know what your muscles are like you go out there and you shoot the lights out so I love this fight like I'm 24 and I'll play basketball sometimes and feel sore the next day I don't feel old by any means age-wise but I still don't feel like I used to so I couldn't it, imagine being in the UFC at 43. Guido Kennedy probably gets <laughs> diamond hard when he goes in the UFC's uh <laughs> Use the, the the when you look at the all time ranks because Kennedy fifth all time in bantamweight strike accuracy at fifty five point five percent. Guido Canetti just bringing the bacon home for wow. Argentina. But he don't he need is, that blue pill. He's a giant underdog in the matchup, which actually before we started taping, I I write them down individually so I don't look at the odds and I went wow. I can't believe he's that big of an underdog. Bautista, a giant favorite. We have a look at the topology votes. Matt, surprise to us there to you. Sometimes Bautista gets clipped in the first round. That's why it kind of yeah. weirds me out. I'm going to say over, under. If they're that crazy, I'll say 85% Bautista. Well probably over. still over. Oh, wow. So 645 total votes, 96% Bautista, 56% by submission for the 4% that have Kennedy, 40% by knockout. Kennedy against Mutino goes out there, clips him. Wobbles him. Mutino back up against the fence. And not that long before, he had the O'Malley loss. It was supposed to be a reset for Mutino, taking on an older guy on a three-fight losing streak. It was not that. Then, Kennedy goes out there against Randy Costa. Costa, decent favorite in the matchup. Costa starts with the strikes. Kennedy, inside leg kick, body kick. And then, just like the fight with Terrence McKinney and Farasiem, it's a leg kick that then Costa gets wobbled. Kennedy just rushes, jumps on the back. No hook rear naked choke with Kennedy like a younger brother on the back, just like way up, and he was really far ahead on that choke, but he gets the rear naked choke, gets the top Costa out of the UFC. So Kennedy looking to move forward on all of that. I think Bautista has all of the skills that you see out of a guy like Kennedy. Turned up the youth factor on his side. That you, like it doesn't matter. Age is but a number for a guy like Guido Kennedy. He tends to slow down as the fights go on, though historically. So for me, I like the reservedness of a guy like Mario Bautista. Though you will see those blitzes, those crazy flurries. And the thing about Bautista is, even in the fights where he doesn't win by flying knee knockout, he likes to set it up and then throw it as well. Exactly. So you have to look out for the flying knee knockout out of a guy like Bautista. But I'll take his steadiness over again. And I said it a couple times so far 
the peaks and valleys out of a guy like Kennedy. This is what I like out of Kennedy. And honestly, shout out to you, because I feel like you called I've been hot fights. on Kennedy in every fight. Yeah, you've been right on him more often than not. But I think it is fair to say, this is a step up in competition that Guido Kennedy has probably deserved. But he was in a pretty good spot, just kind of being that bottom feeder in the division. Just, hey, if a guy seems to be on his way out, we're not really sure about him as a prospect. You fight Guido, and if you beat him, you can stay. If you lose to him, you're not really around. I don't think Mario Bautista is that guy by any means. I think he has shown that, hey, the Trevor Jones fight was just an off night for him, and his skills are very high level. That's the thing about Bautista. If he hadn't shown the, sub the submission ability that he recently has, maybe you could see a world where Guido could be able to go out there, wrestle him early, get him tired, and then make it interesting on the feet, but Bautista is such a talented striker, and with his own submission ability, that I do like Mario Bautista in the match. And I, I said this about Brennan Allen when he's taking on Andrea Muniz. Lots of success against southpaws at the OC level. For Mario Bautista, they might not list them as exact southpaws, but Corey Sandag and Southpaw. Now, I know he lost that fight, and he lost it in the first round. Glimpses. Jay Perrin, switch fighter. Brian Kelleher, switch fighter. Lopez, Benito Lopez. And that was the last win off a really long layoff. Southpaw fighter, switch fighter as well. And a true Southpaw was Trevin Jones, where Bautista did get finished, and that's where it kind of peters off a little bit. But a really good fight, Matt. Two high-level oh, guys yeah. and high-volume guys, and they... Really like to burn hot in the first round, too. So you guys should really enjoy this. Both of us going with MMA Lab's own Mario Bautista to get the win. I can't wait for it. Maybe I'm the most excited person That's in the entire fight. world for Bautista Kennedy. You know I'm excited. But some big-time fights in this division. In that main event, Jan versus Dwalish Willie. Can't wait for it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. Welcome to the UFC to middleweight finisher, the Reaper. It's SD, Cedricus Dumas, taking on Josh Fremd, the collegiate wrestler. And I'll get into his wrestling pedigree, though you might not see him on D1 posters. He's not Bo Nickel. He did go far with it. And when you look at this matchup, Matt, it was announced on February 23rd by Team Iridium that out was Abu Zaitsar. In is Josh Fremd, the former LFA middleweight title challenger. And he didn't win that belt against Gregory. Rodriguez, but he did win some big fights after that. He picked up a big win over Joel Bauman, who came out throwing everything in the kitchen oh, sink yeah. in that fight. You do have Frem going out there, getting the submission win about a year ago, and that was at the start of 2022. So Frem looking for his first win in about a year. He lost in the UFC to Fluffy Hernandez, got kind of out-wrestled in that matchup. His last time out, he nearly had his head popped off like a daisy against Treshawn Gorn, one of the most disgusting submissions you'll ever see. And now for Fremd, he was 9-3 going into the fight against Gore, who's 3-2. And, and now Fremd has to take on another up-and-comer in Dumas, who's undefeated. And it is a tricky one, because for Dumas, over on Contender Series, take on Mateus Penas. And that was a weird fight, because Penas, 23-3, is a kickboxer. He had all the knockout it's wins. Penas was slightly favored to win the fight. I thought Penas was going to win the fight. And Dumas went out there and put it on him and looked amazing. He really did show his complete arsenal because for Dumas, what's he good at? His striking's good. Offensively. It's Insanely. good defensively. His wrestling's good offensively. His submission ability's good offensively. His wrestling defense isn't the best, but for Dumas, he's good at getting out of bad positions. He shows a lot of heart and toughness in these fights. And I don't know where his ceiling is in the OC, but it doesn't matter because now he gets to go on 
against a tough enough test in Josh Frem. We saw Frem go out there, finish Bruno Oliveira in that four-man tournament with the LFA to then book his shot against Gregory Rodriguez. And that was a string of three straight main events with the LFA. It was Oliveira, it was Rodriguez, and then it was Hanato Valente and a win there too for Frem. So a big matchup for both of these guys, a reset for Frem, a litmus test for Dumas, and that's what makes it fun in a... Exactly. Middleweight division that's kind of all over the place these days. It really is. That's the weird thing about the middleweight division. We can applaud divisions like the lightweight and the bantamweight division for being deep, basically down to their top 25, really 45, if we want to be honest. But the middleweight division doesn't really have that luxury. We were kind of joking last weekend on our fight companion about, hey, it's kind of wild how if Bo Nickel were to fight Alex Pereira, I asked you what the odds would be. You said, what, Pereira would be like, what, a minus 165, 170? Isn't that wild that a guy making his UFC debut could have reasonable odds against the champ? And yes, I understand that there's a lot of specialists in this division, and that's what makes for so much fun, but I see this fight being very similar to what probably a Bo Nickel versus Alice Pereira fight would be. Can you get oil and water to mix? Yes, you can emulsify stuff if you spin it fast enough. I love to cook, so I do know that. But for the most part, no, it's impossible. One is going to stay on top of the other, and this really is one of those water and oil fights, because for Dumas... Caesars don't fear the reaper. He is very dangerous on the feet, and I love the hand speed that he shows at this division too, because he doesn't just have to load up on that one big shot to get the knockout win. He can put combinations together, mix his shots together, and he does what Dan Hardy always says. I'm gonna give him his flowers every time I bring this up. He doesn't have to choose which punch he which punch he puts uh, his power on in his combinations. He can make it the jab, he can make it the second punch, he can make it the fourth punch. It's very high-level striking what Dumas is able to uh, demonstrate inside the cage, but you brought it up. What does he struggle with? So far, the takedown defense has been a bit of a struggle for him. And I do wonder about how much time Josh Fremd is going to be able to get just holding Dumas against the cage. Because I know that's not something that we want to talk about. It's not something that's going to make for an exciting fight. But Fremd, I do think, is going to have an advantage with the wrestling to the point where it might kind of cancel itself out. And it might make for a bit of a stale viewing. Well, we'll throw in a little bit of a clip from our Contender Series fight from last summer. Talking about Dumas in that matchup with Peñas. Because I think it does hold a lot of water in this fight. And for his opponent, SD Dumas, man, this guy blows people away. His striking's great. And the, the thing that I like, he can strike off the back foot. He can strike moving forward. He can strike moving sideways. He has so many different attacks. His kicks are great. I think his kicks one of one of the best parts of his game. And for SD Dumas, see, I do a lot of research for the show differently than I do for our, you know, like our full card UFC breakdown. So I do a lot more like reading articles, watching certain interviews. And for this one, I found an article on the UFC.com website. And the headline of this one, Matt, I said I was going to talk about this, but I didn't tell you what it was. The headline is Cedric Dumas' Time is Now, Dana White's Contender Series. This is by Walker Van Way. And you go down about three or four paragraphs with the laid back personality of a post show red man, the flash of Sean O'Malley, the thirst for blood of Robbie Lawler and the power of a small vehicle. Dumas really doesn't have much adrenaline left for outside the cage. What? Like, is this guy hanging out with Redman post-show? Is this is this Walker Van Way? Does he know Redman? Like, imagine just being like, this guy's pretty great at everything. And him reading that article and being like, I guess. Like, 
I better put spinners on my car and drive real slow now. Now, when it does come down to it, like you look at Dumas, all those pluses, the one slight negative, but you haven't seen it cause any issues. I guess the only other thing you could say was level competition coming into yeah. the UFC and Contender Series. When he was 6-0 and taking on Peñas, it was over guys' combined record of 18-22. and So not the greatest level of competition. He had fights with Icon FC, Gamebred, so Jorge Masvidal guy. He's out of Pensacola, Florida. You heard it on Contender Series, kind of a crazy life story. Dana White liked that when he signed him. But if you do look at it for Fremd, he wrestled at Slippery Rock University. And I went and I looked and I thought, okay, Slippery, Slippery Rock, Rock University, yeah. I hadn't heard of it because Fremd is a Pennsylvania guy. That was where Stanley Zredzik, that's his alma mater, that was an Olympian right there. So Zredzik really putting the world on notice back in the 70s. Fremd out of that I gym. I do that. Part of the MMA team, a part of the wrestling team. And for Fremd, positive record, big fights on his record. And if you look at it, some decent blitzes in some of these fights. And he's able to withstand some of the blitzes. I know in the biggest fights he hasn't, but out of the Bowman fight, he was able to do it. And so on and so forth. So we have a look at the odds. Dumas is a slight favorite. Fremd, the slight underdog. The reset fight, Frem took this one on short notice on February 23rd. We have a look at the topology votes. Matt, surprised us there to you. Dumas, polarizing figure. He is. Very polarizing on the internet. I feel like the fans have him here, though. I'm going to say over under 70% Dumas. I think it'll be over. And I, yeah, it's way over. So 451 total votes, 91% Dumas. 71% by knockout. And for the 9% that have Frem, 41% by decision, 31% by knockout. 91% on Duma and a lot by knockout. Do I don't have that much on the Reaper, but I still think he's going to win this match. But the problem with Fremd is he does leave himself open when he goes for some of his takedown attempts, and he leaves himself wide open for some of the uppercuts and knees from a guy like Dumas, and that's why I do favor him in this matchup. Now, again, I kind of mentioned it during the video. I can see Fremd going for a lot of some of those stalling techniques up against the cage because he does realize how dangerous of a fight this is going to be at range, but again, I do think at range he is going to eat some of those big damaging shots, and for that reason, I do have Dumas. Yeah, and if you look at it for Josh Fremd, he's a little bit like Tim Duncan and his strikes. He doesn't go for the kill too much. The greatest of all time. He will be kind of like the big fundamental. He'll pop the jab out there. He'll throw the jab out enough that it then opens up his right hand. Threat of the takedown. Clinch game. Like a lot of fundamentals that you like to see out of Factory X Muay Thai. And Frem's a guy that grew up, came up on that East Coast scene. Both guys really East Coast guys, but different parts of the East Coast. For Duma, I like the power. I like the offensive grappling in a matchup like this. I like the size that he has for the division, even though, again, height-wise, they're pretty close, two okay, inches in height, yeah. two Frem, a little bit of a reach advantage either way. But I do like Duma in the matchup. So both of us going with the Reaper, Cedricus, Dumas in the matchup. Should be a fun one. Let us know down below in the comment section who you have in the fight. Some big time ones left on this card, including Jan and Dwalish Willie in that main event. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's get into it. The theater at the Virgin Hotels has been a site to a Christina Aguilera concert. That was the first one to open it up. A title fight last year between Jose Ramirez and Josh Taylor. Taylor, big winner in that one. He's going to be taking on Teofimo Lopez coming up in May. But listen, now you got a couple of old scrappy bantamweights looking to make their mark in front of that crowd off the strip. It's a former top contender, Rafael Alessandro, the former Ultimate Fighter contender, dangerous Davy Grant. And Matt, both these guys have had some big peaks and some big Man. valleys in their careers. Now, it's been much more consistent for Alessandro, a guy who years ago on the regional scene beat 
Jorge Masvidal. Jorge Masvidal. And that was back years and years and years ago. And a out at one point, the third-ranked Bantamweight. He had a win over TJ Dillashaw. He lost in the rematch, UFC 200. But if you look at it for a out after he loses to Dillashaw, he knocks off four wins, and then they make him rematch with Marlon Moraes, and he gets finished in that one. And that's where he started to hit the skids. The out was a giant underdog's last time out against Victor Henry, and he out-savvied him. And for a out it was weird because he was an American top team guy, whether it was Atlanta or down in Florida. But his last time out, he switched up the camp to Extreme Couture. And then all of a sudden, he was able to find his groove back again. So for a sense out, this camp again at Extreme Couture. Some giant names at that gym in the lower weight classes. You'll see them. And I'll cops, one of those guys that's out there that we know and love here on the channel. But for Davy Grant too, that's kind of the crazy thing. SBG Bishop Auckland, he switched up the end of his camp in this one, and he loses on that season of the Ultimate Fighter, and it was tough 18. The guy that won it was one of the great what-ifs of all of MMA, Chris Holdsworth, injured in camp, undefeated pro amateur. But for Grant, we've seen all the performance bonuses in the UFC, performance bonus over Martin Day, one over Jonathan Martinez. He goes out there and has the fight of the night against now the last name is Adrian Yanez. It's been confirmed out there on Twitter by the man himself, so you got to call him that now. But the craziest part is the last time we saw Davy Grant was back in May of last year, and we said at the start of the video, and the loser of this fight goes home. So it's just crazy to see that. It's a submission win for Davy Grant. Now all of a sudden, he's probably still in the position. The loser could very well go home out of a matchup like this. Uh, I think if a Sunset loses, he might. But I do think they will give Davy Grant another chance. At 37? I do, and this is why. I think this fight more than any other in UFC history. Now, of course, there's a better example, but I'm just going to say that for hyperbole. This fight speaks towards, hey, age doesn't matter as much as in-cage miles do. And for half a Sunset, he's 40. Davy Grant might be 37. But Davy Grant has not been hit by the level of shots that a guy like half a Sunset has been at this stage of his career. And I know Davy Grant has been in difficult fights. I'm not here sitting saying, hey, He's just blown through them all and they've all been a breeze. But Asensa has been a difficult fight to some of the best fighters in the division for years now. And I do think it's fair to say that Asensa has fallen off from where his prime originally was. Whereas for David Grant, he just kind of fights in the same manner. I, I know the matchups might be different. And when he fights really good guys in the division, he might lose. When he fights guys at the lower end of the division, he's going to win. But the thing about Grant is, is he durable? Yeah, he's extremely durable, even at this stage of his career. He's, he's got a lot of scar tissue in his face. He does, but he can eat big shots and not go down after he eats those big shots. He has great defensive submissions. And he does do a good job walking forward on his opponents when they're not throwing a lot of shots. And the thing about a Sun Sao is, the win that I always go to for a Sun Sao is the Rob Font win. I know it wasn't one that got a lot of headlines, but Asensio kind of beat the brakes off him defensively in that fight, which is a weird thing to say, but he didn't get hit by any big shots. And in the third round, he really opened up with some of his own boxing. And, and I always think that Asensio is still somewhere in there, but it is difficult to say at 40 years of age. And I know beating Victor Henry is a good getting back on the horse kind of a win, but I still think higher of Davy Grant, if you really ask me, if you give me that truth serum, who's probably better, Davy Grant or Victor Henry? Well, Davy Grant's been in there with some of the best fighters in the division. And even when he loses, makes a pretty good account of himself. And that's the about Grant that I do applaud. Even at 37, still a very durable opponent. And Grant has about a month to get ready for this fight. It was announced on February 9th that Grant's going to replace Kyler Phillips in the matchup. So it would have been a Sun Tso trying to turn away a prospect. Now Davy Grant gets that opportunity against a former top-ranked contender. And the fight that I go back to for half a while of Sun Tso was he was ranked really high in the division. If I'm not mistaken, he was...
was ranked third, and he was taking on a guy closer to the bottom. He was taking on Lopez, and Matthew Lopez is one of those guys. He went to the top of the mountain with the RFA. He had some stumbling blocks in the UFC. That was back when Bantamweight wasn't where it is right now. But in that one, Asuncao goes out there, throws a lot of leg kicks, slows the movement of Lopez. Lopez Fly can't move forward. And then, yeah, flying knee, throws that shot, crumples Lopez, and a great finish win for Asuncao. And that's it. He's had high highs. He's had low lows. And for Asuncao, 3-2 at WEC, 12-6 and six in the UFC, and he debuted at UFC 128. That's where John Jones won the belt against Shogun. And Asuncao lost handily to Eric Koch. I bet you didn't think you'd hear that name today. Eric Koch, the guy who, he had a lot of promise at one point. So Matt, in this matchup, Asuncao got back to basics his last time out, looked great. And in the fights that he was losing, like you look at the four-fight losing streak, lose to Marlon Moraes, gets clipped by a right hook and dropped. He gets submitted, loses to Corey Sandhagen by decision, get blitz from the outside. Garbrandt lands the most disgusting baseball bat knockout right hook you've ever seen in your life in the dying seconds of a round. And then it gets Ricky Simone, right hook to an uppercut, and he crumples up against the fence. It was a lot of similar shots that caused him issues in those fights. Dangerous Davy Grant also throws some crazy hooks in he his does. matchups. And he likes to throw leg kicks as well, but some mean intent on those shots. And for Asunsa, it was number four versus number three in that Lopez fight. So Matt... A Sunset, what I like out of him in a matchup like this, and I talked about it earlier on in the card, he's one of those guys, Lopez fight, he did it. Faints. Faints. Can Throws I a different shot. I never thought that highly of Matthew Lopez, if I'm being honest. Most people did. But for a Sunset, he's no able to disguise his shots with a lot of feints, and he's a guy that can strike well on the back foot in these fights. Good defensive grappler. He offers up a lot of issues for a guy like Grant. Grant has a power equalizer. Grant tends to throw with high volume, too, and he can keep a pace, even for an older fellow in this division, but not a lot of miles on him. He had long bouts of inactivity. You remember that fight against Grigory Popov is one that kind of set things off, but you look at a matchup like this, Davey Grant, slight favorite, a Sun South slight underdog. We have a look at the topology votes, Matt. Surprise to us there, to you. I think fans are going to think favorably of Grant's finish over Smolka. I'm going to say over, under, 67.5% dangerous Davey. I think it'll be over. I think it's going to be over. And a slightly over. 607 total votes, 73% grant, 75% by knockout. For the 27% that have a Sun Sao, 82% by decision. You have Davy Grant in this fight. Uh, I don't know, to be completely honest. Because, again, if half of the Sun Sao implements the wrestling, I do think he can hold Davy Grant down enough to actually win this fight by decision. But I'll go back to what I said about the Trevor Jones-Cody Garbrandt fight. Is hey, does Trevor Jones have enough power to win this fight? Of course he does. He has great knockout power. But he doesn't give himself enough opportunities to land that one big knockout shot. And the thing about a Sun Sao is... I like Ricky Simone's a really good fighter. He's a very talented fighter. He's not a knockout artist by any means. Like he's a good boxer, but he doesn't have big power in his hands by any means. Recently, if you've watched his fights, yeah. But uh, Ricky Simone is not a big powerful boxer. Again, it's a lot of the threat of the wrestling that then opens up his own striking. Again, he has made the improvements, but I don't think Ricky Simone is a powerful striker by any sense. Davy Grant gives himself enough opportunities, I think, to at least expose the chin of a Sunsau. So I think a Sunsau is well rounded enough to win this by decision. But I do think Davy Grant at least gives himself enough opportunities to get a finish, and that's why I do have dangerous Davy Grant. Well, like you look at the fight of the nights against Yanez, and then his rematch against Marlon Vera for Davy Grant, and those. 
those are blood and guts they performances. Are. So against a guy like Asunso, you've seen Asunso knock guys out. It doesn't happen every day. He does have a lot it's of wins by decisions. So you look at this one, short notice turn for Davy Grant. He's training in the States for this matchup. I'm ever so slightly going to go with the underdog in Rafael Asunso in the matchup. I think, again, back to basics, training with some of those top guys that you saw in the pictures at Extreme Couture. He can go out there, put on that veteran savvy one more time. But Matt... 40-somethings in the Bantamweight division. Guido Canetti and Rafael Asuncao. The boys are looking to turn back the clock. Some big-time matchups on this card and in this division. Pyrion's taking on Marab Dolashvili. You're not going to want to miss that main event. The rest of the fights on the card. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. My name is Lukas Brzezki. An odd matchup coming up this weekend. A couple of heavyweights who aren't so heavy with one making his UFC debut. We have Dana White's Contender Series contract winner, the U.S. Virgin Islands' own Carl Williams. And he's going to be taking on the Bull. And it's not John McDessey up a bunch of weight classes. It's Ukash Dresky, a very difficult name for us to pronounce here in North America. He had a really weird fight on Dana White's Contender yeah. Series. Was there a tap? Was there not a tap? He got a contract. Then he got... That overturned to a no contest. You saw the complications. And a weird fight against Martin Budai in Dresky's UFC debut where most people thought that he won even though he didn't. So for Dresky, it's the big reset for Carl Williams, a big opportunity. And Williams coming on to Dana White's Contender Series. We talked about him a lot. Carl Williams, who's 6-1 and Jimmy Lawson, who's 4-1. and This one at heavyweight. Now, originally this was supposed to be a completely different matchup. And we weren't actually supposed to have Carl Williams in. Now, if you went over to his Instagram, I think it was, it was on September the 4th. He posted that, uh, yeah, I got a I chance in the that. UFC. So he did weigh in at 233 pounds for this matchup. So you look at it that way, Lawson weighed in at 263, both polar opposite fighters. And if you do focus in on it, the original matchup that Lawson was supposed to have was against not Kevin Stefanski of your Cleveland Browns. It was Kevin Zaflarski. Like, like, like a backup QB version of Kevin Stefanski. I know Carl Williams is coming in on short notice. He's out of the U.S. Virgin Islands. He goes to American Top Team Atlanta. He... Started out his athletic career in track and field, and then he kind of wanted to move into martial arts, so that's kind of what got him to the dance, uh, wrestling, and then into MMA. I watched Carl Williams fight, Matt, and if he had, like, two more fights, I think it may, he could have made it into the UFC as a light heavyweight, and I don't know why the PFL decided to pass on him from PFL Challenger Series, because Williams is an incredibly diverse striker, and by that, I mean... He throws somewhat basic combinations, but he has speed, he has power, his wrestling translates into MMA. It definitely he has does. Great control on the mat. Like, I really like the skill set I see out of Carl Williams. And I'm not making a pick on this one, but if Carl Williams won this fight, and listen, I don't even know. There weren't odds on this one earlier on today when I looked. Kind of surprised to see it here. And I think either winner, Williams is probably the more UFC ready. Lawson, maybe. Probably the, the higher sailing out so Williams goes out there, six of his eight pro fights at light heavyweight. He missed weight one time, but six of eight at light heavyweight, two at heavyweight, and he takes on Jimmy Lawson, a premier wrestler from Penn State. 
Williams goes 3-3 on takedown attempts with 10 minutes and 54 seconds of control time and wins a decision. And it surprised a lot of people. Now, if you watch tape on uh, Lawson, you knew his takedown defense was porous and he could get held down off his back. But a really impressive win for Carl Williams there. I'm just still surprised and kind of scratching my head that he doesn't go back down to 205 for this one. It is kind of surprising. I guess you could say that for both guys, but not really. I mean, Preschke is so big for the... Well, he would be so big for 205 is what I mean to say, but... It is interesting. We have seen a current trend of smaller heavyweights really excelling in in the division. I mean, we've talked about this a lot of newer guys coming in. They're kind of in that 220 to 240 range, less so in that 265, really pushing the scales. But you are right. Williams had a lot of success at 205, but he is fast for the division. That's something that has to be said. And we talked about this a lot when John Jones moved up to the heavyweight division. It was, hey, how is he going to transfer? How is he going to look? And I guess we don't have that much film to go off of. That fight was so quick. But for Williams, I do feel like he has a bit of an athletic advantage over a lot of the guys he does face in the division because the one thing I really do like about his takedowns is the entries. They're so quick. He goes from being at that long range to the close range in a bat of an eye. So it will be really interesting to see how Ukash does do at the range because I'll be interested to see. Ukash has a big advantage with not only the power but the technique on the feet too. But it's going to be difficult for him to have confidence in his own strikes of Williams every single time he sees strikes coming his way just ducks underneath and starts going for some of those takedowns. And Ukash is is such an interesting guy. For Breski, won on Contender Series last year. It's overturned to a no contest due to the presence of clomiphene in a drug test. He won that fight over Dylan Potter, who came in on short notice, and it was a fun fight. We all enjoyed it. But did Dylan Potter tap? Well, Mark Smith thought so. I didn't. My eyes didn't. If Mark Smith was there, though. Mark Smith saw the tap. I mean, Alistair Overeem felt the tap. Okay, you were at home watching. Mark Smith was in the I cage. I saw every angle. He didn't tap. I, Mark Smith was there. If he saw a tap, how can you disagree with it? I disagree with it. For Lukasz Breski, a guy out of Poland, he's trained at so many different gyms, so many different great fighters. He obviously referenced Jan Blachowicz quite a bit when he was coming into the UFC. Obviously, sketchy circumstances over A, a controversial tap, but B... The no contest and the nine-month suspension after the fact. But when I break these two guys down stylistically, Matt, I can talk out of both sides of my mouth for both guys here earning victories inside of the octagon. And that doesn't happen every day. I love this fight booking. I think it's just. I think it's fair. And I think the fans are really going to like this one. I'm really excited for Lukash at the UFC level because, again, looking at his fights prior to this, there are some very nice skills that he can build upon once he does get to this level. I brought up a lot. We were talking before the camera started rolling. I love his ability to finish opponents up against the cage. Not even just to finish them. I just like the scenarios he goes through because how many fighters do we see they get their opponent in a good position and they go buck wild they don't really worry about their technique they just get very overzealous with their style of fighting we see this all the time then you look at someone like in last weekend's co-main event for instance Jeff Neal got Vicente Luque hurt did not get wild at all and Jeff Neal is someone who we've talked about a lot on this channel for just how intelligent he is with his finishing patterns look at how he did to Luque hurt him Hit him with 47 uppercuts. Took, took the second round off and then just absolutely went motorboat in the third round. <laughs> uh, he was Bangkok ready, that's for damn sure, in that third round. But what I like about Lukash is, when he gets guys up against the cage, he's not just a headhunter. He's not someone who's going to throw a lot of left and right hooks hoping for the finish. Go to the body, he will use his kicks effectively in this manner. For Lukash... He does have submission wins, but they're not necessarily like, oh, he's Damian Maya. You know, I look at them a little bit more as like, maybe not even Carl well, Robertson. That's he, not a good example either. Even when he was taking on Potter, the commentary was like, well, he's off to the side. He's not even on the back. It was like an AJ Dobson submission. He's on the side going for a rear naked. You think, well, that's not going to work at this level. And I, you're probably going to agree with me on this. One of the first things I noticed with Lukash, 
He's got to be so strong. Like, if you're fighting him, you have to be worried about every punch he throws, and you have to be worried about if he is able to dig underhooks, and I think underhooks, overhooks, not to sound like Dominic Cruz, one half of this weekend's main event, I think those will be very important in this fight. So, in the matchup for Bresky taking on Dylan Potter, he gets the win, it's controversial. Dana Wade, after the fact, said, I'm on the fence with Lucas. Say what you want. He didn't tap. He wasn't getting out of that choke. So they ended up signing him regardless. He did get a win on the regional scene over Ednaldo Oliveira, who was in the UFC, fought Gabriel Gonzaga and lost to him. He had two fights he lost, and since then he's fought some guys. But for Bresky, the level of competition, not really the greatest. He was also a minus 445 favorite over Potter. But what I did like out of Bresky that I was able to see on the regional scene and in the fight against Potter he starts every fight off by throwing 15 to 20 hard leg kicks. Closing the distance, throwing chopping calf kicks, and you like to see that. Softens up of his opponent, and then he can get into his boxing. And Lukasz Bresky, his boxing's really weird. It's not it super, wonky. super technical. He does kind of like to throw his left hand out straight to just kind of like wing his right hand. There's a lot of power on it. He doesn't have good takedown defense. Bresky at all like that fight against uh Michal Kita that's a guy that's fought a really good level of competition over on the Polish scenes doesn't matter the 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 organization he's fought a lot of guys that you know that you love you've seen Kita on some of those records in that fight Kita was able to really just ground out Bresky he was take him down hold him up against the rage and you might go Craig well Craig what's a rage have I heard of that before well M1 Global used to have it and uh, Babylon also had it. Can I be honest? It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. So if you've never heard of it before, picture this. If you're six feet tall, 5'11", 6'2", whatever, you can figure this out. If we're talking like my calf down, well, that's well, that's a chain link fence. I would just say, even, if, look at a boxing ring. Up until the first rope, it is cage. It, it's cage. It's like a baseball field. It's whatever you want to think. It's chain link. Above that, it's a ring. You can get a little creative, but not really. Do you train with it? Probably not, unless you're in some like underground whisper network in Europe. But I did look at that as Lukash has great kicks, closes distance well, backs guys up, then he can work his striking attack, and he will go body, head. He will mix it up that way, and that's what I like out of Lukash Bresky, the bull. So in the fight that he had in his UFC debut, you're taking on the biggest heavyweight you're going to fight, Martin Budai, and in that one... MMA decisions, one scored at 30-27, Drevsky. 11 scored at 29-28 for Drevsky. One scored at 29-28 for Budai. Budai wins the fight by unanimous decision. Drevsky outshot Budai 118-66 to 66 on yeah, significant strike yeah. attempts. So really weird that the fans go that way. The overwhelming strike numbers go Drevsky's side. But when Budai hits, he covers, you talk about covering distance. He's always in your face. Tough guy to fight. And he's had some really weird decisions, especially that technical decision fight against uh, the, what, a, the, the Huggy Bear. That's Josh Copeland. The, but either way, a really, really tough fight against... Uh, Fuck me, what's his name? Chris Barnett in that debut for Budai. So if you do consider it, Drevsky came in on Dana White's Contender Series 2021, an episode with Jazz Devicius, Jack Delanangelosa, Albert Duraev, and Jalton Almeida. So kind of interesting there. 50-50 striking always out of Drevsky. And again, did he tap, didn't he tap? So Drevsky in this one, Carl Williams, an interesting clash of styles, so to speak, in the matchup. The slight favorite is Williams, but he opened plus 145. Now he's minus 170. Drevsky opened minus 170. He's plus 145. Can I, be, I was surprised to see Williams open as the underdog because, again, 99% of the time, that might be a bit of an exaggeration, but 
when a guy with a wrestling advantage fights somebody who overcommits a little bit on their striking, but again, is a good striker, what happens? The wrestler ducks underneath the strikers, gets a takedown, and is able to accomplish it, so I was a little surprised just odds-wise seeing him open as the underdog. And Drewski now, out of this one, he fought out of Spartacus team at one point. He's fought out of some different gyms. He's a Polish man. Training out of Ankos MMA. You see Marcin Tibor out of that gym. Exactly. You've seen a lot of big-name guys cross-train out of Ankos MMA. So great to see out of Drewski. We show it on and we throw it on over to topology have a look at the votes over there surprise to us there to you i'm gonna say over under on this one favorite probably shaded over under 67 and a half percent williams here uh i think it'll be over actually think it's gonna be over oh, it's the opposite wow. 631 total votes 71 percent drevsky 52 percent by decision 40 percent by knockout for the 29 percent that i have williams 62 percent by decision wow a surprise on the votes the fans have the underdog, but the odds have switched, and yeah, that, that comes as a surprise to Fight Night Picks. So I guess I'm going with the fan underdog, but the betting favorite in Carl Williams. Like you had said, I'm a little surprised to see him fight at the heavyweight division in the UFC, because a lot of the times what we see is a fighter will fight at their heaviest division on the regional scene, then when they come to the UFC, oftentimes they'll go from like lightweight to featherweight, welterweight to lightweight, so it is a little bit surprising seeing Williams fight at this division, and I do think he will face some physicality issues, especially if he does stay around in the future, but but I do favor him with the wrestling in the matchup, and I think his defensive striking will be good enough to at least let him get into the wrestling exchanges. I know Drevsky's last time out, he was able to keep that output, keep that pace as the fight went on. You don't see that out of a lot of heavyweights, so I commend him on that. I love to see it. Who's got a style that's more conducive to some wild fights? It's actually oh, Drevsky if you watch him fight. Drevsky's one of those guys. You like the Trevor Peak punches? He'll end a combination pa, 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 and hit, pa, pa. hit you with the inside of his fist and not like the end or where his knuckles are. So for Drevsky, you got to watch out for that. The straight shots up the oh, middle yeah. could cause an issue for Williams. I like Williams wrestling. Not just the Williams or uh, the Jimmy Lawson fight that we had seen. But you look at it for Drevsky and I mentioned it in the breakdown. His fight against Michael Akita, he struggled against the takedowns. Guy that you just saw fight for KSW and Kita's fought everybody on the regional scene but for Williams I can see him going out there sticking to the game plan he's also a decent striker we see that yeah. as well so both of us in the matchup going with the UFC newcomer both guys looking to pick up their first UFC wins we're going with Williams let us know down below in the comment section who you have was Drevsky the real winner against Budai? I think he was. But we really want to hear from you down below in that comment section. Some big time fights on this card, including Volkov taking on Romanov in this division. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. Sweden's Anton Turkali made a list with Fight Night Picks that you don't want to make. He was at the bottom of the MMA nickname tier list. It's the Pleasure Man Anton Turkali, and he's making a second time out in the UFC, taking on Dana White's Contender Series Week 7 main eventer, Vitor Petrino, a guy who knows knockout finishes. And for Petrino... He rematched with Bellato in that main event fight. The first time they fought, he knocked him out. The second time out, he knocked him out. But he withstood some adversity in that one. Won the majority of the first round. Straight shot through the guard. Sent Petrino down to the canvas. He followed it up. And at the end of the round, he was pounding away with ground and pound. The second round starts. He goes out there. He does more of the same. And he gets the finish. And for Petrino... You know him for that power. And if oh, you yeah. look at his career, he fought a poor level of competition on the regional scene all the way up to the time that he fought Gajimarad Antigulov. And he goes out there you and finishes him. him. So a wild one. He takes him down. He does everything he needs to do to beat Antigulov. And then he ends up on Contender Series, gets the win, and the rest is history. But when you look at it for both of these guys, where... 
Petrino didn't face a high-level competition. Turkali was brought up the right way. Like, 11-3 as an amateur, 2017 IMMAF European champion. He fought for the Asian Championships. He then fought for the European Championships again. And as a pro... He hadn't tasted defeat until he ended up in the UFC against Jalton Almeida. And we saw him withstand adversity on the regional scene. We saw him go out there and take on Acasio de Santos on Dana White's Contender Series Week 1. He takes him down over and over and over again. But we don't remember him for that performance. No, we don't. We just remember B. Joe Pfeiffer because Dana White wasn't pleased by anything the Pleasure Man brought out. And Takali was high on himself. The pre-fight promo package was really, really high on himself. I got the look. I got the finishes. I trained with Gustafsson and Shamaya for years. I'm ready for this. And it was a good win, but it wasn't the one that gets butts in seats. Exactly. So Takali, they give him the short notice call. A catch weight at 220, which most would have said, hey... Just have him fight at heavyweight. But he goes out there against Almeida, gets taken down, gets submitted in that one. So, listen, water off the duck's back to me in a performance like that. But you look at this one, Matt. Turcali with the striking, not to Petrino's level. Petrino, will he withstand the takedowns in this one? This is one of those Clash of Styles fights, and I'm really looking forward to it in the light heavyweight division. It should be a great fight, because I do think Turcali can match some of what Petrino does on the feet. Like, I don't think this fight's going to be a complete wash in the striking. Yes, I do favor Petrino. I know that's what you're getting at, but again, I don't think it's just, oh, if they're on the feet, Petrino's going to win all of those moments. I do think the fight will be somewhat close in some of those areas, but Turcali is going to have an edge in the wrestling, but what Petrino did show and I'm glad you brought it up in the Antigua fight was he can go for his own offensive takedown and he's not some fish out of water on the mat. He is a decent grappler. Now, if Turcali gets in that top position, of course I'm going to favor him in a lot of those positions, in a lot of those moments, but I think this is going to be one of those fights where if Turcali can't get the initial takedown, he's going to really struggle on the feet afterwards, but if he can get past Petrino's initial takedown defense and actually get him flat on his back, then we might see Turcali actually get past the full guard, get into half guard, land damaging shots, but the thing is, Petrino doesn't only have power on the feet, he has speed to match, and that's a very unique combination for the light heavyweight division. Now, both these guys are pretty big, and I would say both these guys are good athletes for the division too. They both have pretty good speed on the feet, they both have pretty good speed on their takedown entries, but I was very impressed by Petrino on Contender Series, and I was really impressed by what we saw on Contender Series wow. as well, so I'm very interested to see what we're going to get at the UFC level, because at 25 years of age, in the middle, or sorry, the light heavyweight division, still a young guy for the division and still has tremendous upside and in a division that's as light open as light heavyweight because you bring up a division is light open sorry as wide open as light heavyweight you bring up a love it's kind of wild because you read a was ranked after two wins in the light heavyweight division like it really doesn't take that much to climb up all that fast so for both these guys this is a big opportunity on a huge fight night card and he fell like a sack of potatoes to get jimmerad antigula flew too close to the sun when you look at this matchup, Matt, for Turkali, like, you've had some fights, and I went back and I watched some of the Brave fights, because you got to get into that mindset of what brought Turkali exactly. to the dance. And so I go through it. He missed a kick against Konstantin Soldadov. He misses that spin kick and then turns it into a spinning back fist and knocks him out. In his fight against Aslan, low hands and throwing kicks from distance. He goes in for the takedowns, rolls with the punches. Aslan, punch to clinch. Aslan, takes him down. Aslan. Has success when he's on top. So to me, Turkali lost the first round. But then in the second round, it starts off. And the first minute and a half, Turkali's losing the first minute and a half. And then he ends up getting the takedown, elbows. And then out of it, he ends up getting the rear naked choke. He stands back. Hold me back. The ref's got to hold him back. He's freaking out. So a big win for Turkali. He took all that time off. 
and then he ended up on uh, Dana White's Contender Series. He said in that pre-fight pre-pack, he turned off or turned down a lot of fight offers, and he really wanted to prove himself. Uh, you know, whether it was in the UFC or Contender Series, got the short notice opportunity. But he, to me, if he loses this fight to Vitor Petrino, it's kind of like that Uncle Lucius song. You know, wolves are at his door. Like, I have no idea. Turkali's out there. You don't know that song? No. You've never heard that song? You're acting like it's like Drake saying it. It's what a big song. About? It's a big song. Wolves are at his door. If Turkali sure. loses. And for Petrino, he's getting this big opportunity. But Petrino reminds me of a guy that just made a debut not long ago where it was like, okay, in that one, he's facing a big time, uh, you know, gatekeeper at this point. It was when Claudio Habero went in and took on Abdurazak Al Hassan. It was like, Habero's the hotness. Al Hassan's been around for too long, and Al Hassan just put on a veteran savvy performance and beat Hebero. To me, Petrino could be that guy. He's all the hotness, didn't take on a great level competition on the regional scene, got dropped on contender series only to come back and rally through and get the win. Will the takedown defense shine? Will we see that great balance that we've seen out of Petrino with his takedown defense on the regional scene? Or will Tercali be able to go in? Maybe he doesn't have the greatest striking defense, but he has those chops to get the takedown. And his stick to and his fights have really kind of shone through as well for Tercali. We'll see how it plays out. Petrino opened a decent favorite. The yeah. line's kind of shrunk on him, getting close to par. Turkali's gained a little bit. We have a look at the topology votes, Matt. Surprise to us as they are to you. I'm going to say over-under where it's getting close. I'm going to say over-under 62.5% Petrino. I'll say over. I'm going to say over, and it is over. So 607 total votes, 77% Petrino, 85% by knockout. The 23% that have Turkali, 44% by decision, and then there's about an even split between the knockouts and the submissions there for Turkali, who, when he gets you down, he makes you pay, he and does. he can rinse and repeat with the takedowns, and I love just that steadiness out of Turkali in these fights. I do. I just think he's going to eat a lot of damage on the way in for some of those takedown attempts. And that's why I do have Petrino. I'll be interested to see how they do build Petrino. Because again, younger guy, only 7-0. Not a ton of experience. So this will be the best win on his record. One that you can definitely build on in the future. But I definitely do have Petrino in this match. Because I do like the upside of his striking. He's a guy who can match the power with the hand speed. For those reasons, I have him in the fight. I'll go with Petrino. I like the fact that he mixes in the power shots. And I'll toss that job out there to then get the right hand switch stances a little bit so for me i'll go with petrino again the level of competition before the anti-gulov fight sure. not very good and there's definitely some question marks especially with the chin when you see blotto land that straight shot through the middle but he fought through adversity with turkali the wrestling is so good and he is so well schooled out of all stars and uh gbg mma which he represents as well so a big time matchup in this light heavyweight division both of us going with petrino to get the win some big fights left on on this oh, yeah. card, Jan taking on Marab Dolashvili in that main event. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's, let's get, get into it. it. Last weekend, Joe Rogan, DC, and the boys were excited about the Bantamweight division. And coming up this weekend, this fight has rankings written oh, yeah. all over it. Said Nurmagomedov looking to defend the number next to his name in his four-fight win streak against a fellow finisher whose four-fight win streak is also on the line in Dragon, Jonathan Martinez. Martinez with the biggest statement win of his career. Dropped Cub Swanson with the hands in the first round. Dropped him with the leg kick in the second round. TKO due to leg kick. Oh, yeah. 
yeah. against Cub Swanson. And you have to think for Martinez, you know that that sidewinder southpaw style is a big part of his game, but he's learning a little bit from Chris Gutierrez, the leg kick king at Factory X Muay Thai. And when you look at this for both of these guys, and you consider all the fights, the wins, the losses, the level of competition, for Saidner Magomedov, it is interesting because out of the last two fights, a little bit of adversity against De Silva, Douglas Silva de Andrade, but he picks up the win there. He's ranked, but then he fights down against an unranked guy inside your Kup Kokrakmanov, and you talk about adversity. He withstood it in that oh, fight. Yeah. And now again, he doesn't get a ranked guy in the matchup. And I went through Bantamweight, and I considered, okay, well, who's unranked and doesn't have a fight right now? Umar Nurmagomedov, you're not going to fight him. Kyler Phillips is up around the rankings, yeah, but he's saying. injured, so you're not going to fight him. You got Dominic Cruz. When Sayyidur Magomedov's name comes across the table, Dominic Cruz doesn't sign that contract. He just acts like he's not home. That's what he does. Yeah, I, I don't know about that guy. And Sean O'Malley, who's way up at the top. For for Nurmagomedov, if you want to stay active, I guess you're going to fight a guy like Jonathan Martinez. But when you look at both of these guys, Matt, I mean, for Martinez, sometimes he can grapple offensively, but we don't see it very he often. This fight. I think of that Liu Pingyuang fight as one where he was able to kind of initiate it a little bit. But when I look at both of these guys, Jonathan Martinez with the hands, oh my gosh, with the kicks, oh my gosh. When you look at Syed Nurmagomedov and his grappling, and you look at the fights against Mark Striegel, the fight that he had against Cody Stamen, the fight that he had against uh, his last time out, Syed Yakub Kokrakmanov, his defensive submissions, it's like 1985's Duran Duran, and I've got it as a single, a view to a kill. Oh my gosh, that guy's bringing out a view to a kill with that defensive grappling, and you saw it in those three submission wins, and that's three out of the last four fights for Nurmagomedov, where he's been able to turn the tables with those submissions. You love to see that. These are two of the highest level guys in this division, even though one of them is unranked. I absolutely love this fight. That's this might be my favorite one. fight on the card, Matt, as a handoff. It's a great fight on this card. But the one thing about Jonathan Martinez, do you know what he reminds me of? It's like going for a walk in the neighborhood and you see somebody's building a house and they only have the frame up of it. You can appreciate the frame and you think they're going to build a great house based off that frame. But there's some question marks left in your head. You know, the garage might be a little bit too small. You know, it's a big house. They probably what do you have drive two cars. A Hummer? No, my whole point is for Martinez, he has the framework of a phenomenal fighter, but there are some of the in-betweens that he still struggles with that makes him not really a top 15 fighter all that yet. Now, I do wonder if people are going to be buying high off him based on the Cub Swanson win, because Cub Swanson at his best is still a very good fighter, and he didn't look good in that matchup. And I think about Cub Swanson. Remember the Hanato Moicano fight? I think Hanato Moicano is a better fighter than Jonathan Martinez is for his division. I will say that, but Hanato Moicano hit him with a jab, took us back, and choked him out. Like, when Cub Swanson is off, boy, is he ever off. So, as much as I enjoy watching Jonathan Martinez fight, and if you guys watched our videos for any period of time, you know that I'd pump this guy's tires up quite a bit, but... Uh, like you had mentioned, he is a phenomenal kicker at range. For a guy who's only 135 pounds to 145 pounds, depending on if he makes weight or not, he is one of the pound-for-pound pound harder kickers you will and see out there. to all three levels, too. Exactly. Love. And I like the body kick out of him, too, because it's a draining technique. You can tell it takes a lot out of his opponent when he does land those. But the thing is, Martinez, at his best, is a guy who's going to throw a lot of kicks. 
Well, a lot of kicks is just going to make Nurmagomedov have more opportunities to take you down. So, if Martinez can implement the leg kick a lot, then yes, I think it'll be very effective in slowing down the game plan of Nurmagomedov. The problem is, that's only one of those three levels that you talk about. And if he's not able to then implement the body and the head kick off the leg kick, I do think he is going to struggle at range in this fight because Martinez is a guy who has good hands offensively. But, think about every Jonathan Martinez highlight you've ever had in your mind. Normally, the hands are mixed in with the combination with his kicks and I don't think he's going to have as much success just boxing at range with a guy like Nurmagomedov because Nurmagomedov is going to be able to float the hands in quick and then rush it a lot with his takedown attempts. Now if Martinez can threaten with the guillotine, threaten with some of those defensive submissions to at least make Sayer Nurmagomedov respect his grappling game then maybe Nurmagomedov will face him a little bit more on the feet. I just I don't I don't know what Martinez is going to be able to do in terms of consistent grappling on the mat to make this fight interesting. Sayer Nurmagomedov is not an offensive wrestler. He no, has 9% takedown accuracy in the UFC over a decent enough sample size. I mean, you look at the wins, he's what, 6-1 and one in the UFC. You can see it on the graphic as well. But out of the takedowns, he gets one on Douglas Silva de Andrade. Silva de Andrade takes him down. He gets one against Jared or Justin Scoggins. I was going to say Jared Scoggins. In his debut, wins that fight by split decision. In these fights, and as I mentioned, like you look at the submissions he's getting, it's set up off of defensive mistakes and so Man. on and so forth. And that's how you do Coop Cockrock fight i missed that fight the night of and there were there were dms or people adding on twitter there were people all over a youtube page like i can't believe that nurmagomedov won that fight because up until he did he lost every second like he was outstruck by cockrock Manov, taken down different times and cockrock Manov, like the odds were close he was a 2019 combat sambo bronze medalist the silver medalist in that tournament Rob Dorshvili, who's fighting in the main event. And the fact that he was released from his USC contract is a travesty, and I will never let it go. But for Nurmagomedov, he withstood the adversity, he won the fight. It's just, these guys are bringing the grappling to him, and then he goes guillotine, Darce, or his last time out, Ninja Choke, which I went and I watched a video, and I want to give them credit, because you have to. It was a video on invisible jujitsu about the technique of a ninja choke. Theirs was from closed guard, but his was like sitting on his butt, kind of parked out, and then he just pulled in. So it was a really crazy submission win for Nurmagomedov. But he's great with those defensive chokes. And Martinez, maybe he goes out there and grapples. I doubt he does. The other thing, I made a mistake. So I said with the hands in the first round against Cub Swanson, 18 seconds left in the first round. It's the knee that sends Swanson back. And then there's the ground and pound. The second round, it's a left hook to the elbows. And then he's able to land a knockdown. They might not credit him with a knockdown in that he one, but for sure. Swanson flops down and then out of it after at near the end of the round, 43 seconds left, leg kick, TKO win. Eight and three in the UFC for Jonathan Martinez. Two performance bonuses, one against Liu Pinguang, one against Cub Swanson. He's had fight of the nights written over some of these fights. It's a weird fight to try and predict because for as good as the striking is from Jonathan Martinez, Nurmagomedov, He's one of those guys that's cross-trained at he a lot of different gyms. Clean. He doesn't get hit clean in a lot of the matchups. He fought at Mark Henry's Nick Cantone MMA. He's fought with uh, Jackson Wink at the start of his career, a.k.a. for bits, extreme couture for this one all over the place. Martinez used to be a Texas-based guy. That's where he's from. He's since switched it up to Factory X Muay Thai. He's really added to it. So I love the matchup, guys. It's a really hard one to offer you up a prediction because... Nurmagomedov has been favored in a lot of these fights. We've seen him withstand a lot of adversity. And in this one, he's still favored to win the fight. Martinez is the underdog. I'm eager to see the topology votes on this one because I don't really know where they're going to be. I'm going to say over, under 70% Nurmagomedov in the fight with the number next to his name. I'll say under. 
I'm going to say under. It's over. 707 total votes. 83% Nurmagomedov. 54% by decision. 33% by submission for the 17% that I'm Martinez. 77% by decision. And we've seen Jonathan Martinez go out there and knock down plenty of guys. Oh, Frankie yeah. Signs fights. One of them. We've seen him go out there and struggle with the takedown in certain fights. But again, Nurmagomedov is not known as an offensive grappler per se. So I'm eager to see what we get out of this one because I have a hard time, as I said, with uh, a pick on the fight. It's a hard pick to make just because, again, it speaks to the depth of the Bantamweight division. You have guys like Jonathan Martinez and Sayed, or sorry, Sayed Nurmagomedov who are barely ranked in the division. So again, it just speaks to how great the whole overall division is. I have Nurmagomedov. I know you talk about his lack of offensive wrestling, and you are right, but I still think it will play a factor in this matchup. I think Jonathan, Jonathan Martinez does need combinations to really hurt his opponents, and like I had kind of mentioned, Nurmagomedov is a difficult guy to hurt clean. You can out-volume him, you can out-maneuver him and out-output him, but again, he's a hard guy to hit clean and drop, and that's what Jonathan Martinez really does rely on. It's his knockdown ability in a lot of these matchups. I love watching the dragon Jonathan Martinez fight, but I do have Sayed Nurmagomedov in this match. Matchup, but this is a very closely contested fight. To me, Said Nurmagomedov looked really good, well-rounded in his fight against Douglas Silva, Deandraj, who you can draw some parallels, Southpaw, just like Jonathan Martinez. He's old enough to be his dad, though. He's tricky, he bleeds a lot, he knocked out Gaetano Parello with one of the he craziest did. shots I've ever seen. But for Nurmagomedov, he can get backed up a lot behind that black line, and he becomes really reactive. Now, he, he was born in the darkness. He's great with being reactive. Well, and Nurmagomedov, early on in his career, 6-1, and one, taking on Magomed Bibulatov. Like, he fought a really high-level exactly. competition outside of the UFC. But for Martinez, where I'm getting at is he fights at a much higher pace, picks his power shots, lands all three levels with the kicks. I don't think Martinez is going to be able to land that body kick, but the leg kick to slow down the movement of a guy like Nurmagomedov. I like the underdog, Jonathan Martinez, in the matchup. So I'm going with the dragon in the fight. I never thought I'd say it, but off watching the fight tape, it made me side more with Martinez. You've got Saeed Nurmagomedov in the fight. Really eager to hear what the fans are thinking oh, on this yeah. one. Do you have Nurmagomedov? Do you have J-Mart Martinez? You have to call me Dragon in the fight. It's a big-time one in the Bantamweight division that's loaded and leading with that main event. You have Pyotr Jan taking on Marab Doshvili. I can't wait for the fight. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. Brazil's Ricardo Hamos has alternated wins and losses since 2019. And if you're wondering, he won his last fight. So maybe this is the time for the loss. And he's going to look to make it two wins in a row when he takes on Texan finisher. Lights out. Austin Lingo has been on the shelf for some time. We haven't seen Lingo since 2021. He made it close to the top of the mountain with the LFA. He's putting on great performances. And out of all the finishes that Lingo has... Five of them in the first round. In the UFC, he lost a decision to Yusuf Salal a few years ago. And he picked up big wins over Jacob Kilburn and Luis Saldana. Knockdowns in both of those fights. It was the first round against Kilburn. It was the third round against Saldana. And I love to see those gritty fights like Lingo was in against Saldana. Where he gets outstruck in the first round. He grits his teeth. He wins the second round. Saldana slows down in the third round. And what drops Saldana in that third round? Switch levels, jab to the body, uh-uh, and Saldana's down. So a crazy performance from Lingo. I wish we got to see him in 2022. He had some injuries that he had to look after. He did an interview with, and I want to make sure that I get this one right, 
It was low kick MMA back in May of last year before his fight with David Onama. So he's supposed to fight in July. That The headline out of the interview was that was the last fight on his contract. So I would assume that this is the last fight on his contract, but I don't know to, for certain. So he said in the fight he was supposed to have against Jonathan Pierce that would have been in February of last year that he tore possibly his meniscus right before that fight. So he had it worked on by the doctor. He was going to be good to go for Onama, but of course that fight fell out. So now the last time that we saw Austin Lingo was back in August of 2021. So a long layoff for him. And for Ricardo Hamosh, this is a guy that's kind of bounced around between gyms, looked like he found a home at Team Alpha Male, had some representation from that gym when he took on Danny Chavez. Back last June, he had Alexander Munoz there, the wrestling coach. And for Danny Chavez, I don't think he watched any fight tape on Ricardo Hamosh because what did Hamosh do? Threw a bunch of spinning wheel kicks that didn't land and then threw the spinning back fist and, well, it was the elbow that landed out of the spin. Like, that was gross. That was wild. And Chavez was just there for the taking. There was a follow-up. So a big win for Hamosh, a long layoff. He was supposed to take on back in September of last year, Danny Henry. Both guys forced out due to injury. Hamosh from his Instagram looks like he's training back home in Brazil. So that's interesting to see. And if you go down through the record for Hamosh, he's been a big favorite in certain fights. He's lost as the underdog. But you go back to the spins. And again, you saw it on the regional scene. You saw it in the debut at UFC 217. Two spinning back elbows that he landed against Eamon Zahabi, and he ends up getting the finish there in a performance bonus. Hamosh's highs have been higher in the UFC Much. because he's 3-2 and two in the UFC compared to the 2-1 and one out of Austin Lingo. But the craziest part about this fight, you might really like Hamosh, you might be really down on Austin Lingo. Lingo's gritty. Lingo fights behind boxing combinations. He's got good re uh, defensive wrestling. He can kind of get caught in a mirror sometimes in these fights. And that's what I keep on running into. Hamosh throws a large variety of strikes. So I do worry that Lingo is going to be caught on the back foot just watching what Hamosh is throwing. Because there's a lot that you have to think about when you're fighting a guy like Hamosh. You make fun of a guy like Danny Chavez because, listen, he didn't watch any tape. That's what you have to watch out for with Hamosh. But it's difficult to be able to figure out where he's spinning from when he's throwing straight shots. Because for as good as the unorthodox strikes there. He does have good technique when he does resort to his traditional kickboxing. Has good kicks. Is an upright striker. Has decent boxing too from the outside. And think about Hamosh is, if you do get uncomfortable with his striking and decide, hey, I'm a wrestler now, he can threaten with a lot of those defensive submissions he a can la the guillotine also now. get held down like he did against Tucker. Though. Exactly. That's the problem with Hamosh. He is one of these grapplers who, hey, his initial line of defense is quite strong, but if you get over that initial hurdle and hold him on his back, you can have quite a bit of success. So, I will be curious to see if Lingo does go for takedowns in this matchup because Hamosh I think will have more success on the feet. I like his variety of strikes. I like his volume too on the feet. I do worry about him eating a big shot here or there but think about Hamosh is he has decent footwork when he's not being threatened by the takedown and that's why again I'm curious to see when and if Lingo does go for a takedown because Hamosh if you're just a pure striker does do a good job at moving and getting his back off the cage but if you're able to throw strikes and then mix in your wrestling with some of those strikes you can confuse him which is kind of what I mentioned uh Hamosh might be able to do against Lingo and with that confusion you might be able to complete some of those takedowns and like you had mentioned that is a big weakness for Hamosh he's not a bad grappler I don't think but he can get held down on his back for long periods of time and definitely give up rounds if he is faced with that type of situation so for Hamosh that's the one situation he has to avoid like it is the plank like, and you can't get taken down by a guy like Lingo because I do favor Hamosh's movement on the feet and I really do think that footwork is going to be a key for him I I'd say Hamosh has beaten better guys probably the best guy in his record in the UFC it's either Kyung Ho Gong or Bill Algio. But you look at the Algio, wins. Yeah. Eamon Zahabi, Gong, uh, Journey Newsom, 
Eduardo Garagori, that was a performance bonus. Algio and then Danny Chavez. But likewise for Austin Lingo, his best win to me might be Solo Hatley, which was with the LFA. Like, I, I don't know, Jacob Kilburn's UFC run wasn't the greatest. And then if you look at it the last time out, Luis Saldana does have a UFC win. The first round highs are high. The submissions are good. The striking's good. The three-round game hasn't necessarily been there for that fight-ready MMA prospect. So to me, Lingo doesn't necessarily have a lot of wasted movement like you see out of Hamosh. Because Hamosh... Yes, the spins are great. Yes, the spins are awesome. But if you miss five spinning wheel kicks in the first round, and again, a Tim Duncan reference, the big fundamental out of Austin Lingo, a lot of jabs mixed with that right cross. Tim Duncan, if it just Lingo. burns on you, Austin Lingo can go out there and do those types of things too, guys. Even though he might be known as a first round finisher, though the two wins in the uh, UFC are by decision. So you look at the odds in the matchup. Cardo Hamosh is a really big favorite, which surprised me when I wrote them down on the page. We have a look at the topology votes, Matt. Wouldn't necessarily be a surprise to me if the fans go with them overwhelmingly. I'm going to say over under 92.5% Hamosh. Ah, you caught me off guard with how high of a percentage that was. I'll say under, but it'll be the favorite. It's slightly under. There you go. 652 total votes, 86% homosh, 65% by decision. For the those that have lingo, the 14%, 63% by decision. So the fans, between two finishers, think it's going to go to a decision. I like that. That's interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if it went to a decision either. Again, both guys do have decent lasting power. I don't think it's a case where, hey, when the third round comes around, one will have a huge advantage over the other with their output or with their cardio. But I do favor homosh. You bring it up. You're a little surprised with the odds. I would still favor homosh about a 175 to maybe a minus 200 in that category but that's still closer than where the odds currently are so maybe you do see value in austin lingo but personally i like hamosh in the pick i like his variety of strikes you bring it up is there some wasted movement there yeah without a doubt but i still like when he breaks the table in terms of the kicks at long range especially in terms of the boxing combinations too so i do worry about lingo's power especially with some of the counters but i still have hamosh in the matchup lingo against traditional strikers has great moves because he can plot forward he can throw that jab he can single or double and then when you go to try and counter him he goes up over that and ends up landing that right cross there's tons of power that's how he was able to knock down jacob kelburn in the first round of their fight it's just to me you're doing that at the center of the octagon hamosh can kind of move out of the way or he can land those spin He's attacks answers, yeah. so to me i will go with the varied attack of ricardo hamosh but it scares me with the way that those odds are formulated right now so maybe you do like uh lights out austin lingo i love to go back and watch these two guys fight it's some of the most fun tape study you're gonna go out there and do whether you do oh, it or yeah. not you let us know down below in the comment section. Let us know who you have in the pick as well. Some big fights left on this card, including Alexander Volkov <laughs> taking on Alexander Romanov. And the main event from a few weeks ago that's now on this card, Nikita Krylov taking on Ryan Spann. Be sure to keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks, we always say. Let's get into it. Nikita Krylov got sick the day of the fight. The main event was off and everybody had to get excited for Andrea Muniz versus Brendan Allen. And out of that, one of us ended up on a poster on Brendan Allen's Instagram page. Matt, coming up this weekend, a three-rounder, not a five-rounder. Nikita Krylov taking on Ryan Spann. And for Ryan Spann, that's got to be welcome because nice. his only main event in the UFC was against Anthony Smith and he didn't fare all that well. Now, all things considered, we broke this fight down in incredible detail two weeks ago. We're going to throw it on back to that preview. Going to offer you up a final pick and prediction on this one. Ryan Spann, you look at the run that he's had throughout his overall career. 
and there's definitely been a lot of adversity. We can say that about both fighters, but Span, unsuccessful for the LFA heavy or light heavyweight championship, his first run through. He took on Leo Lechi. That was for the middleweight champ over there with Legacy way back when. Then he was able to win the championship with LFA for uh, that light heavyweight belt. He fights on Dana White Contender Series against Carl Robertson, doesn't get the win, builds himself back up. You know the story by now, but the last little run that he's had, it's been absolute burn burners. I mean, his fight against Johnny Walker was wild. His fight against Misha Serkinov netted him a performance bonus. He loses to Anthony Smith in his first main event opportunity with the UFC, and then it's a win over Iwan Kutselaba, and it's last time out, it's that power jab, and then that right hand that just sent Dominic Reyes like a tumbling sack of bricks. His last time out on a pay-per-view card, no less. So a giant win for Ryan Spann his last time out. And for Nikita Krylov, the highs have been high. You look at his first fight in the UFC at heavyweight as a young, fresh-faced kid, he gets finished. And then he goes out there and knocks out Walt Harris. So some crazy things for Nikita Krylov. But all the way now, his last two fights... He finishes Alexander Gustafsson. Whoever would have thought that that would be a sentence that we'd utter. Just even think about it. And then Krylov's last time out, exactly, in the first round against Volkan Uzdemir. I mean, he got banged like Lee Sand in the 90s. And then he withstood that. And even one of the judges, 30-27 out there, good second round, good third round. Nikita Krylov was able to withstand that punishment and just keep on ticking and really show why he's become a durable, well-rounded fighter in some of these matchups. A durable, well-rounded fighter in some of... It's like Sex Panther. It works 60% of the time every single time. Nikita Krylov is a lot like the Death Star in Star Wars. It's really pretty and fancy when you look at it from the outside, but it tends to have that one weakness that if you can exploit, it all goes to hell. And that's the thing for Nikita Krylov. Never been knocked down in light heavyweight, that's but great. he's been put on skates. Nikita Krylov defensively does have some liabilities, not only with his striking, but even defensively with some of his grappling. He's one of these fighters who, from top position, when he's able land his own ground opponent. He has very good elbows in the top position. He does a great job of kind of, you know, softening up his opponent to go for his own submissions, but when he does fight other guys who do have more of a wrestling advantage over him, even go back and watch the Jan Blahovich fight. And I know Jan is a very good fighter, but grappling isn't necessarily the first thing you think of when you think about Jan Blahovich. and he was able to get Krylov's back, uh, apply the rear naked choke. He looked really good with his own grappling in that matchup, and that's why I've always had a really hard time predicting a Nikita Krylov fight, because the highs are so high, but the lows can be very low too and he does have a very wonky style of fighting it's very it's on the outside he keeps his hands kind of low he'll throw a lot of kicks he has a heavy hand at fighter but that's the one thing i will say he does not want to get into a boxing match with a guy like ryan span because the one thing that i do worry about for span in this matchup is and you would kind of mention it his last two losses are to johnny walker and anthony smith Two long-range, kick-heavy, light heavyweights who can stand far away from you and force you to walk into a lot of their shots. Now, Krylov will stand a little bit more upright. He's not as lean back as those two previous opponents are, but he can uh, use a lot of those similar game plans that we have seen. If he uses the low kick effectively, that's something Ryan Spann does struggle with. He doesn't necessarily have a great answer for it right away, but again, I just worry about Nikita Krylov getting too comfortable on the feet. If he's not able to get his kicks involved in this matchup, I could see him having a lot of uh, difficult times, especially with Spain early on in the fight because... What? 
I don't care what you thought about Dominic Reyes, and I didn't know what Dominic Reyes had left in him. I didn't think Ryan Spann had that type of performance in his back pocket. Yeah, Ryan Spann fights like he, you know, he's got a park, a car parked outside, and he hasn't fed the meter, so the he's got to get, yeah. he's got to get really quick and get moving. And for Spann, yeah, he's not paid by the hour. And if you look at it for Nikita Krylov. He can play the long game, and that's not always the fun thing, but some fights, they're barn burners. But some fights, like his fight against Johnny Walker, he fought to his game plan, he took him down, he was just a wet blanket over him, so MMA math says, well, Johnny Walker beat Ryan Spann by a knockout, and Nikita Krylov beat Johnny Walker by decision, Krylov wins, but it's not that way, because for Spann, he's been susceptible to that finish twice, once against Carl Robertson, Arms locked up against the cage, elbows land, Span's finished. Same thing happened against Johnny Walker. For Span, what does he do so well? He's so tall and he's so big. I don't know how he made middleweight before because he's a giant light heavyweight. He stands kind of like this and he lands that really good jab, but he'll double up on the jab to disguise his right hand and he pumps it out there really quick and there's a ton of power on both the shots. Again, it's not often that you see somebody with power jab knockout wins, but that's what they credit Span with in his last fight against Dominic Reyes, where Reyes is walking in, Span stepped forward with it, and then the right hand came in and knocked him down. But if you look at the Span wins, again, like and, and even some of the losses, the fight against Iwan Kutsalaba. Kutsalaba goes out there, gets a takedown, ends up in mount, and then all of a sudden Span's bucking him off. Span puts both legs in it like a bunny rabbit, kicks him completely off up against the cage, and then spans back up again. Kutsalaba gets a little bit wild and reckless. He's going to fight Tanner Bozer next, which is a little bit wild. Span, like Aaron Blanchfield, standing guillotine, pulls it up, and then spins and lands on top, and he gets the guillotine finish. For Span, the only trouble is, you mentioned it, the fight that he had against Anthony Smith, how did that fight go? They strike for a little bit. Span then gets the back of Smith, picks him up, and walks him across the cage, Smith is like, what's going on? Span gets down. He has a lot of success. And then all of a sudden, out of all the scrambles, Smith is getting on top because he did put him on skates. He he gets gets him into a rear naked choke position. Smith ends up getting the win. They draw after the fight, so on and so forth. Span is such an interesting fighter because he's a decent grappler. He's a really good striker. It's just bringing it all together in the cage. And for Nikita Krylov, his defensive grappling can kind of get caught because he becomes like happy feet with his own grappling. That's so weird. And he takes big expenditures in some of these fights. So again, you already brought up some of the fights, but he had back-to-back losses. One to Magomed Ankalaev. That's Nikita Krylov's only UFC fight in Vegas to this point. Is one loss to Magomed Ankalaev. And then he fought Paul Craig where he was just landing those big shots. Paul Craig was six ways to Sunday. And then all of a sudden, like the Undertaker, he came back. If you look at it for Ryan Spann in Vegas, he's 3-3. Three and three, So at least he has a few wins Not to negative. his ledger that way. So big time matchup. Obviously, again, master sport and a black belt in Q- Kyokushin Karate for Nikita Krylov. And you see that a little bit out of his style. But I think even in the thumbnail, I hope I kind of hit it. Because Krylov in the in-between sometimes... Boy, does he ever get hit in some of these fights. And I don't know if you know this, but Ryan Spann hits so effing hard in those in-betweens that this is a really dangerous fight for Krylov. But again, Krylov has the more methods to win this fight. He does have the improved grappling, but that's the weird thing about Krylov and his grappling. I have no idea what my opinion uh, is of Nikita Krylov on the mat. I've seen him get submitted by Paul Craig, which isn't the end of the world. A lot of good fighters have been submitted by Paul Craig. But sometimes in long grappling sequences, he can look dominant. And other times, he does seem to be a bit of a step behind. So for those reasons, I don't think Spann's 
going to have success in the grappling in this matchup. I will say that. If Spain goes for a takedown, I think it'll be one of those where Nikita Krylov's butt hits the ground and they get right back up. We might see a little bit more clinch control from that. I think it's a very dangerous fight for Krylov to fight if he's the one on the back foot uh, trying to measure Ryan Spann for a power shot because Spann moving forward is a terrifying force to deal with. But I do find myself uh, favoring Krylov just because he does have the more methods in this fight. I mean, in these main event videos, like, just going right off, like... There's, there's, a, there's a style. Well, I just, uh, we've set it up six ways to Sunday, as you have said. And for Krylov, it's just interesting because both these guys have fought a lot of fighters in the top 15. And it does get to be a point where we've seen with Derek Lewis, for instance. You beat a lot of guys in the top 15. You've lost to a, guy, a lot of guys in the top 15. At a certain point, until you do look really dominant and have really impressive finishes over these guys, people aren't going to care as much. So I just think Krylov has a very important fight for him ahead of him because he has the fighting style that could get him, maybe not a title just because 205 is so wide open right now, but could get him one of those really exciting matchups, maybe another fight against an Ankalaev. It's just he wow. needs to go out there and look really good against Spain. I think the winner of this fight gets the returning Alexander Rakic. And if you That'd look at it at Fight Night Picks over in the YouTube community tab, we threw it out there to you folks. You have number six. Six Krilov taking on number eight Ryan Span. 51% with Krilov, like 49% it. with Ryan Span. The comments, Classical Andrew, thought the Uzdemir fight was an impressive performance for Krilov. For some reason, I don't find myself putting too much stock in those last two Span wins. I got Krilov by sub. The one and only Krilov is going to expose Span for being a glass cannon. That's rude. Uh, Bo, Span is dangerous early, but I don't trust him the longer the fight goes on. And let's see, Mark, I wonder if Span bothered training. Seemed to work in his favor last time. I mean, he did look really good his last time out. So Nikita Krilov making the walk against Ryan Span coming up this weekend. And if you do consider Krilov still the favorite, Span's still the underdog. We have a look at the topology votes. We mentioned our YouTube community tab votes when we talked about this fight earlier. So we'll just have a glance at them. Oh my goodness! Well, that doesn't make sense. 617 total votes. It's 50% Span, 50% Krilov. 73% of the Fan, span voters, my goodness, have to win by the knockout. Span voters. The 47% that have Krilov have to win by knockout. So Matt, the Span contingent so, have grown because Nikita Krilov may or may not have had ache. food poisoning the day of the fight. So ultimately, the fans have shifted. Have you shifted on this fight? You like the 1975 way more than I do, but I've hung out with girls in their mid-20s, so I've had a change of heart, Craig. Oh, boy. I'm going with Ryan Spain in the matchup now. I did like Nikita Krylov initially when we broke it down, and like Craig has said, he's going to put the initial video in there so you can hear what we initially said about this fight, but I thought it was a really close fight when we broke it down, and we had both said on question mark kicks, and we had our final breakdown of the fight that, hey... It's close, and I thought about switching my pick on question mark kicks, and I do think that the subtraction of two additional rounds in this fight is enough for me to pick Ryan Spann in the matchup. I worry about the defensive grappling of him, I definitely do, but I do think his power is going to be carried in a larger percentage of the fight, because here's the thing, if he can just win two rounds in this matchup, he can win the fight. If he won two rounds in the last matchup, you still need to worry about him not getting finished for an additional 15 minutes, so I still think it's a very close fight. I don't really think there's an incorrect pick in this one, but I do ever so slightly side with Ryan Spann now. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to go with Nikita Krylov. I think he just has that grappling advantage in this fight, but we've seen Ryan Spann turn that table on a lot of different fighters, chief among those wins that Iwan Kutsalaba fight not that long ago. So a big time matchup in the light heavyweight division, a lot riding on this one. We're split on the pick. Let us know down below in the comment section who you have. And next up on the docket, Alexander Volkov taking on Alexander Romanov. So 
a couple of Alexanders who spell it differently going out of keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks we always say let's, let's get into it, it. Alexander Volkov the nickname is Drago he comes into this weekend's co-main event having just headlined a card last June against Jarzino Rosenstrike knocked him out in the first round and took some time away he's been in seven UFC main events four and three in those and 1-0 in his co-main event slot against Greg Hardy. Volkov looking to turn away another hype prospect in King Kong Alexander Romanov representing Konrad Moldova. And for Moldova, two top fighters in the heavyweight division in Sergei Spivak and Romanov. But the weirdest part about this fight, Matt, is for Volkov. Former M1 Global Heavyweight Champ. He got to the top of the mountain or close to it over with Bellator. He's had these big opportunities yes. in the UFC, but hasn't really kind of been able to cash out on those chances. But when you look at it for Volkov, a main event slot last June gets first round knockout. Romanov, 16-0 going into a fight against Marcin Tybora. King Kong's in the first round. And then he's got nothing left in round two yeah. and round three. Loses a majority decision. The only loss on Romanov's record. Now all of a sudden... He fights up in the rankings against Volkov, and newsflash, Romanov's the favorite in the fight, so it's really weird to see these circumstances getting Romanov into this fight. And for Volkov, appendicitis on his Instagram back in December, so hopefully the tummy ache that's the worst. We all know that one kid in middle school who missed a week because they got appendicitis. I haven't had it yet, that's why I call it a tummy ache. It's a joke. It's, it's definitely bad, and it's probably really scary. So good Fair. for Volkov to get that addressed. And for Volkov, training for this fight, not at a Strela team or Extreme Couture or American Top Team, at a Black House MMA in California. So interesting to see that out of Volkov. For Romanov, not out of Extreme Couture, where he's been in the past. He's training back home at Lion Club Comrade, back in Moldova, getting back to his roots. Just like that Florida Georgia Line song. You gotta dig your roots Can before I be the honest? sun goes down. I think this fight's gonna be awful to watch. You do? I do. And this is why. Volkov at this stage of his career, and it really set in during the Greg Hardy fight, he's not a guy who's all that aggressive anymore. He, he did in his last fight! Because Jarzinho came at him, and then he countered him, hurt him, and dropped him. Romanov's going to come at him. He will, but he's not going to do it in the same manner. Romanov's going to come at you with threatening with his grappling and not the striking. When you're fighting Jarzinho, you have to worry about one thing, and it's a flurry the last 15 seconds of every single round. And other than that, it's a, you know, it's a climbable mountain. It looks pretty big, but you'll get to the top of it. I just worry about Volkov and his overall aggressiveness at this stage of his career. Because go back and watch the Greg Hardy fight. That's one of the worst fights of all time. And it's a fight that Volkov should have won in the first 30 seconds, if we're being honest. Now, I get it. You can't be all that aggressive against a guy like Hardy. Because if he does knock you out in the first round, that is a huge hit to your career. But... Volkov just went out there, like, threw the jab a couple times, waited for Greg Hardy to move forward, and wasn't all that aggressive with his own game plan in the matchup. And I do think there's a world where, oddly enough, Romanov, he's a guy who's known, of course, for his wrestling. He moves really well on the outside when he wants to, though. And that's where Romanov is going to have a big uh, trouble with fighting the guys at the top level. He does a good job of moving on the outside. He doesn't do a good job planting his feet and then striking on the outside. But he does a good job of moving on the inside. His game is very much broken up into different segments. And it's going to be a matter of blending them all together. We saw that, of course, in the Marcin Tabora fight. But even if you want to bring up the Tabora fight, did Volkov look that good when he beat him? Not really. Romanov, in this fight and in the last two years, four fights the sample size. Okay, so let's look at the wins, the convincing wins. He beats Jared Vandera, the mountain. He beats Chase Sherman, the gift king from 2017. Two lower level heavyweights. Win and a loss. The loss to Marcin Tabora. 10-8 first round. 
Then he loses the second round, loses the third round. Now, do you think Volkov can do a good enough job defensively to get out of that round if he is on the verge of a 10-8 loss? But that's the trouble. You look at that technical decision win that he has against Juan Espino. He wins the first round handily, and then second round gets harder, third round gets harder. You know, there's the illegal strike, and then they go to a judge's scorecard. It's weird. Like, Romanov can do everything in the first round. He can do most things in the second round. The third round, it's it's questionable. But for Romanov, what we saw in the regional scene was stance switches, long from southpaw. Uh, when he's out on the distance, he's able to land he's whatever strikes he wants to, to land. So, training back home, line club comrade, really looking forward to it from Romanov. But the struggle is if he can't get past the first round or if, he, if it does go past the first round, he can tend to struggle. And for Volkov, you look at it. UFC is what it is, 9-4 there, former Among Global champ, had some really good fights over with Bellator, 71% takedown defense, and that takes into account 14 takedowns from Curtis Blades and two from Tom Aspinall in the first round that landed him into a submission win. So you might hold that fight with a lot of water. So positive strike differential, he strikes more than the average bear. Uh, when it does come to those strikes, 4.88 to 3.04 absorbed. For Volkov, keeping it on the feet, putting on the Ritz like that old taco song, and going out there and putting on a veteran-savvy performance against Romanov. But to me, again, it just it's a weird bit of matchmaking for me. Looking at it this. is a weird bit of matchmaking, but the problem is, I really, again, I want to favor with the underdog in this, but I keep on running into the fact that Romanov was able to take down a guy like Marcin Deborah, who's a great takedown artist in his own right, and a great grappler. And it's not that Volkov can't defend takedowns, because like you had brought up, he does do a good job at defending a high volume of takedowns, but once he does get taken down and once he's flat on his back... His size is a bit of a disadvantage at that point. He has very long legs. It's kind of difficult for him to regain his base and get back up to his feet. And that's why I posed the question, can he survive that first round if he has been taken down and is on the verge of a 10-8? Because let's say Romanov is able to go out there and get a takedown in the first 50, 45 seconds of the round. Romanov has that big of an advantage out the get-go that I do think he can uh, finish a guy like Volkov. And I, I made the mistake, and I'm going to talk about Cartilage and Leatherby in the next fight. To be clear, for the Romanov fight against Marcin and Tybora. 10-8 uh, was scored in the first round by Derek Cleary and then he scored the other two rounds for Tybora for Saldamato and for Michael Bell. The first round was not enough for Romanov who in that first round went 64-1 to in total strikes and 4 minutes and 27 seconds of control time. If that's not a 10-8, I don't know what is. Alexander Romanov is favored to win the fight. Open he the is. underdog. Plus 130, minus 140. Volkov open, minus 150, I'm plus 120. About these topology we have a look at the topology picks. Matt, over, under, I'm going to say 65% Romanov. I think it'll be under. I think Volkov would be the favorite. And he is. So 755 total votes, 66% Volkov, 43% by decision, 51% by knockout for the 34% that have Romanov, 43% by submission, 19% by TKO. Matt, this is going to be a weird, weird deep dive. Do you think your buddy Tim Rose is going to be happy at the end of the night? Does he, does he think Volkov's going to win? He does. He's been pretty confident about Volkov in this matchup because of his ability to defend the takedown. My problem is... How much offense is Alexander Volkov going to be able to get off in this fight? Like, I think he could do a 9.5 and a 10 job defensively with the takedowns and with the striking. But the thing is, how confident is he going to be with some of his long-range strikes? Because Volkov has great technique. He has pretty good power. I don't think anybody's ever going to accuse him of breaking the speed limit with his strikes by any means. Like, he does have a bit of a long recoil. There is a bit of a reset to his strikes. And that's why I think this fight might be a bit of a stale one. Because if Romanov is able to win that first round, similar to the last time, let's say he can get the 
Volkov might win round two and three, but it's going to be by an edge of like four significant strikes in round two and maybe six in round three. Like, I just think this fight's going to be close no matter how you cut it. I will pick the underdog though, because again, Volkov I've seen in five round atmospheres, and I know that he does have the lasting power against guys like Curtis Blaze, because for the longest time, I used to make you roll your eyes because I used to say, hey, Volkov might have got beat that whole entire fight, but he looked pretty good in the fifth round. He was landing damaging strikes. He really made a good account of himself after being so exhausted in the match. So I don't have a ton of confidence in the pick, but I like the underdog Volkov with his amount of experience. And for me, with a guy like Alexander Romanov and the game plan that was out there from Mr. Tom Aspinall, can't wait to see him get back. I'll go with King Kong, Alexander Romanov in the fight. I think that threat of the takedown in the first round, Volkov training in the States, I'm sure at Black House MMA, there's going to be plenty of wrestlers there. That was one of those prime gyms way oh, yeah. back when. But when you look at it for Romanov, getting back to his roots, going out there, getting the finish, I'm going to go with Romanov's. So we're split on the pick of the Alexanders. Matt going with Drago. Me going with King Kong. Let us know down below in the comments section who you have in this fight. And really eager to see where these two guys weigh in at. Because Volkov shredded a little bit of the pounds. Gained a back piece. We'll see how it plays out for both these guys. A big giant fight in the Bantamweight division in that main event. Holy smokes. Jan versus Dwashvili. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say. Let's, let's get, get into it. it. Absolute banger. Coming up this weekend in the main event, we have No Mercy Pyotr Jan, the former undisputed UFC Bantamweight champion. He scuttled a little bit in his last four fights, one and three in those, taking on a man representing Georgia. The nickname's The Machine. He's not Burt Kreischer. It's Marab Dojvili. Eight fight win streak after dropping his first two in the UFC. And Marab Dojvili has the distinction of being one of the few Dana White's looking for a fight fighters who's had success in the UFC. So for Dwalishvili, it's been wild. He sent Jose Aldo to boxing in his last fight. How Just crazy a single tear is coming that? Down my eye. The UFC Hall of Famer, Jose Aldo, outstruck by Marab Dwalishvili. No takedowns earned for Marab in that fight. He went 0 of 16 on say, takedown attempts in that fight. So great to see from Marab. He continues to win. His corners last time out, Ray Longo, Harry Connick likes the freaking lasagna, Aljamain Sterling, the current champ, Mind Games, with Piotr Jan this time. And a man who every single time goes, Come on, Marab! He Matt Sarah in that corner. So for Marab Dushvili, a great opportunity. These two guys ranked number two is Jan. Ranked number three is Marab. They have a giant opportunity they in do. this fight. Because the division's logjam. We talked about it earlier on. Sean O'Malley's the only top five-ranked guy that doesn't have a fight. And if you look at it in the landscape, Aljamain Sterling, UFC 288, defends against... The King of Cringe, Triple C, Henry Cejudo. So it really does log jam things and hold everything up. At least we get this great fight. It's a poster fight. It's a top five fight. It's a great, great fight. And I couldn't be more excited for Jan versus Dwalishvili. This is an incredible matchup. And it's funny that you bring up Jose Aldo a few times because Piotr Jan's takedown defense to me reminds me of one fighter in the world and it is Jose Aldo. And I know Jose Aldo's kind of reached that mythical standpoint of, hey, his takedown defense is pretty much second to nobody's. But Jan really does have those active hips that, you remi or that reminds you, sorry, of a guy like Aldo because Jan's someone who will go for the sprawl, use his hands, dig the underhooks, can kind of use everything at once and doesn't just have to focus on 
on one area of his takedown defense game. And I think that'll be interesting to see because like you had brought up, Devoshvili went for a ton of takedowns against Jose Aldo. He went 0 for 16, but he wasn't able to accomplish any of those. Now, a lot of what Marab is able to do successfully with his MMA game plan is based off of the threat of the takedown because his striking has gotten better. There's no doubt about that, but he is still incredibly wild with his striking. There is in no world, if Pyotr Jan and Marab put on just strictly boxing gloves and had to box, the fight would be over in 45 seconds and Pyotr Jan would be the one with his hand raised because with pure boxing and pure striking technique, Pyotr Jan is definitely the more talented out of these two guys, but it comes down to how many opportunities is Pyotr Jan going to have at range because Marab Devalshvili is nothing if not dedicated to a game plan and even if he is 0 for 11, 0 for 12, 0 for 13, he's willing to go 0 for 45. It's like that Kobe Bryant tweet. Like, I'd rather you go 1 for 40 than 1 for 16 because if you go 1 for 16, it means that you gave up at one point. Marab isn't going to give up with his game plan. I do think it'll be interesting because for a guy who has such great 15-minute cardio, I will be curious to see how that holds up with 10 extra minutes because Pyotr Jan will go through some points of his fights where he might not be the most active guy. He might be waiting a little bit defensively, but can he last 25 minutes? Of course he can. And he does carry power late into his fights. Remember how he dropped Corey Sandhagen in the fifth round of that matchup with that crazy left hook into his spinning back fist? I just think this fight is going to be very interesting because for as exciting of a prospect as Devalshvili has been, he has faced some interesting roadblocks. Again, he got put on almost a poster against uh, Mar Marlon Mahaish there. So for Marab, the weaknesses are there, but we just all know how good those strengths are at this yeah, point. Yeah, and I mean, it was a left hand that wobbled Marab, and then he kind of dropped, and then you also had another left hook that dropped him, and Marais ends up on top, but by the end of the first round... It's Marab who's on top. That was so crazy. Is Marlon out? It's one of the craziest rounds you're ever going to see. And then at the start of the second round, Marab, like a shark with blood in the water, just goes right ah. after it. And he's able to get it done. Ground and pound finish. So if you do consider it and you look at both of these guys, for Marab, the level competition, it starts with Terry and Ware on the win streak. We got guys like Gustavo Lopez, John Dodson, Cody Stamen, Marlon Marais, and then, of course, Jose Aldo. But here's a crazy stat. Marlon... It was a great fighter. He was up at the top. Josie Aldo, uh, you know, obviously had his time. That was a retirement fight. But for Marab, 10th all-time in UFC history with 63 takedowns. Number one all-time in Bantamweight history with 50. Well, where's the 13 takedowns? He fought Gustavo Lopez at a catchweight of 140 and landed 13 takedowns in that fight against Gustavo Lopez, who can wrestle a little bit in his own right. So if you look at it for this fight... You can't just say, oh, Marab, he's a black belt in judo. He's a 2019 combat sambo silver medalist. That's all he is. The hands have gotten better. He walks in. He'll paw his left hand out. He'll try and land the, the overhand right quite a bit. He throws a lot of spinning back fists. It's to either a giant positive, like his win over Ralphion Stotts that got him the contract, or he just sits there and spins and spins and spins like a Tasmanian devil. When you look at it for Pyotr Jan... You said it. I mean, he's no stranger to a five-round fight. The ECB champ before he came into exactly. the UFC. His lone loss there to Magomed Magomedov where the takedowns, the striking kind of bit him a little bit. But in their rematch, he came out guns a-blazing. But then in the UFC, lose to Aljamain Sterling. It's the feeling out process at the start where he loses traction in terms of scoring with fair, the rounds. To be he beat the brakes off him until he got disqualified in the first That's round. where I'm going. He ends up getting disqualified. He then goes out, beats Corey Sandhagen for the interim belt in the rematch against Aljamain Sterling. Who had his back taken for most of that fight? It was Pierre Dion. And then against uh, against the guy, and I know a lot of people, controversial as it is. I thought Jan won it, but it was close. Against Sean O'Malley. MMA decisions. Seven scored at 30-27 for Jan. 
18 scored at 29-28 Jan, 1 scored at 29-28 for Sean O'Malley. Cartilage and Leatherby scored it for O'Malley over Piotr Jan. You but had that O'Malley one, on the fight companion. I did. That was the first non-title fight for Piotr Jan since he fought Uriah Faber back in 2019. So first non-title fight, first non-five-round fight. And maybe Jan had to get back into a three-round atmosphere to get ready for that one. It really is tough. A lot of question marks around that fight. I and do think a five-round atmosphere favors Jan. Da yeah. Daniel Cormier went on DC and RC and kind of speculated to the fact that maybe Piotr Jan was going to retire. Well, but he said that. Jan's uh, management company was really quick to come out after that and say, no, no, he's not going to retire. So Jan for this one, back at Tiger Muay Thai. Marab back at Longo. Weidman MMA. But Marab Dolashvili, like he's getting choked out by... You know, ladies in bikinis that are having a good time. They Ray got Longo's, the defense, though. Ray Longo's talking about it. Yeah, you just, you grab it. Grab that piece. Grab that Georgian hammer. He's also the type of guy in winter to jump into a frozen lake and then eat a bunch of sticks on the way in. So, Marab. I'd love to have a beer with Marab Devalshvili. It would be one of the more interesting 45 minutes I think you could spend with a human. You think a Marab beer lasts 45 minutes? No, it probably lasts 45 seconds for him. I just hope that the time we spend together lasts close to an hour. Marab would be an interesting character because the vibes seem great, but... I brought it up a few times already. A lot of what Marab does is the threat of the wrestling, which then opens up his striking. And what Pyotr Jan is great at is making you pay for your inaccuracies with your striking. Aljamain Sterling in the first fight throws a lot of volume, but the problem with throwing a lot of volume when it's not picture perfect is you do leave some openings with your strikes, and Pyotr Jan is doing a great job at really making him pay for the openings. And I think Marab is going to leave a lot of those similar openings in this fight. Can Marab win rounds by defending his head, going for takedowns, and really making it a gritty fight against Pyotr Jan? I I think he can, but the problem is, Jan does a great job with his counter strikes, and he makes his strikes really count when he throws his power ones. Like, you bring up the Uriah Faber fight, you bring up the Jimmy Rivera fight, when he decides to really plant and throw his strikes, there are devastating consequences. So, hopefully, Marab can show a more evolved game plan to where he's not just spamming some of those big power techniques. Maybe he will have more of a developmental game to putting his jab together with the power shots with his wrestling, because if he ever puts it all together, I'm telling you right now, it is a dangerous proposition for everybody else in the division, but he does lack the one thing you brought up, which is the back control and some of the more controlling techniques on the mat. I do think he's a little bit loose on Which O'Malley was able to do in that fight a little bit. O'Malley was, but the thing about O'Malley is he has such great technique at range that it was difficult for Piotr Jan to get on the inside, and I still thought Piotr Jan did a good enough job at winning that fight. So, again, I think Jan, or sorry, I think Marab is going to make a grand account of himself. He is a very excited contender. There is no quit in Marab Devalshvili, but I do think Jan is the more damaging of the two on the feet, and I think that's going to be the big X factor. Yeah, and it was interesting because my slip-up of Jan and O'Malley but in the Yan fight with O'Malley, it was Yan going out there for the takedowns, Yan trying to initiate some of the wrestling, and for O'Malley from distance, he had success with the striking, something that Piotr Yan is a wizard at. Exactly. So the thing that's going to interest me the most is what stance are we going to see Piotr Yan come out of, and what are we going to see him find his success at with his boxing combinations? Is he going to offer up different I'm stance switches orthodox. against such a good wrestler in Marab. I, I think he's going to open orthodox, but he will switch southpaw, but I'll say he'll open right hand. And we'll see if that opens more of the threat of the takedown from Marab. But a giant all-timer type of fight in this Bantamweight division. You've seen fight of the nights out of Piotr Jan oh, in yeah. the past. And you think of a guy that brought the fight to him and brought the best out of Piotr Jan. Remember that fight with Jinsu Son? That was a fight of the night. Son was able to get a takedown. Performance bonus over Uriah Faber. Fight of the night against Corey Sandhagen. And it, again, I said this to open the show, but if Chandler and Sandhagen, or sorry, if Chandler and Gaethje didn't exist, 
Jan and Sandhagen probably would have been fight of the year fight, yeah. a couple of years ago. So we have a look at the odds in the matchup. Jan is the favorite. He's continuing to gain there. Marab, underdog, like so. We have a look in the YouTube community tab for this one. We threw that out there in the morning. You folks voted. Almost a 1,000 total votes. 70% Jan, 30% Dolish. Really, Dominic is saying, I know Marab has wrestling advantage, but I have a feeling Piotr is going to try and finish the fight from the recent razor close decisions. That's a good take. Two split decision losses in a row for Jan. I think many will be against me, but I feel like Marab is going to win from a name that's way too long. Flying Moose, Jan has been training for Aljo for so long, I feel like Marab is just the worst version of him, so I'm going to take Jan by finish. I don't agree with how you got to your answer, but we'll go from that. And Tom is saying Marab. So it's a it's a tricky one. You know, the fan vote and the way that people go is usually a little bit different. But 70% going with Pyrrhion in the matchup. We've been big on, you know. I feel proponents. like I've been high on Marab, though, honestly. It's, it's a tough pick when you try and get down to it. It certainly is, and that's the thing. Both guys are extremely talented. I've said this a thousand times throughout these videos. The Bantamweight division is arguably the best in the whole entire UFC. I do have Piotr Jan, though, for these reasons. If Marab Devashvili is going to win this fight, a lot of it is going to be based off of the control factor, be it with the clinch and with the takedowns, and not necessarily with a lot of the damaging strikes. Whereas with Piotr Jan, he really makes you pay when he is throwing a lot of those strikes. And Jan's one of those unique guys who can lose four minutes of a round based on the control to just come back in those last 60 seconds and really shift the ties based on his strike. And we saw that in Jimmy Rivera fight. Rivera won 14 minutes of that fight. It just so happened that the last 20 seconds of every round were just so dominant for Piotr Jan. And again, Devalsh really has incredible cardio. I don't doubt his cardio. That's not what I'm sitting here saying. I'm just curious to see what his output with his takedowns is going to look like in a 25-minute atmosphere as opposed to a 15-minute one. So I think it's a great fight for Marab, but I do find myself favoring Piotr Jan. And I mean, Marab, eight wins in a row and you go down through some of these wins. Gustavo Lopez, Taryn Ware, Brad Catone, who's back on the Ultimate Fighter. He did finish Marlon Moraes in one of the wildest comebacks you've ever seen because he got put on skates a couple of times, ended the first round in a great position, and then finished it in the second. Marab's got a great opportunity in the matchup. I'm going to go with Piotr Jan here, and I think it's the boxing combinations on the outside, the footwork that are really going to play a factor for him. But again, we've seen Piotr where he's been in some of these compromising positions. Exactly. You guys talk about Aljamain Sterling. Marab's not as good as him, whatever. Aljamain Sterling's only getting better because of Marab Dolashvili, and likewise, Marab's going to be able to gain from the insight out of two fights that Sterling's already had with kind of grapplers, too. Sterling's much more of the jiu-jitsu side of the grappling. Of course, he has great wrestling, don't get me wrong. Whereas, Marab's much more of that power wrestling. Just fitting like a glove, that compliment there. But, Matt, an absolutely great fight card oh, yeah. on this one. 14 total fights as of taping on Sunday night. But, of course, Abbas Magomedov, he might end up back on the card. Maybe some fights fall out, fights are added, whatever. You can find us here at Fight Night Picks for all of those updates. Really, really big and high on some of these prospects oh, yeah. that are featured here. And a decent amount of ranked contenders, six of them on the card so far. Bantamweight, really the showcase division on this one. So I can't wait for it. I mean, listen, the theater at the Virgin Hotels, first time they're playing host to a UFC card. It used to be the joint at the Hard Rock. Some big Tom Petty concerts there way back in the day. To quote Drake, she wanted rebound with me. I'm down to go get us some boards. We just came off one of the best pay-per-views of the year. And the fact that we get this card as 
sort of the hangover, if you will, to or the man great gets fight paid. It's phenomenal because that's the thing. Could you imagine if we had like a Norma Dumont main event to follow a John Jones versus Cyril Gon one? Yeah, nobody would be excited for that. But we have Pure Don, a man who I have said on this channel I thought was going to become the goat of the bantamweight division. I genuinely think that's the ceiling that this man possesses based off the skills that he's shown. But how can you do to a guy like Marab Devashvili, who seems like every single time people bring up some of the shortcomings in his game, but the wrestling, the cardio, just the stick to seems to get him the win, so it's a great card top to bottom. Give him flack when they deserve it, give him praise when they deserve it. After this, it's uh, Edwards versus Usman, then Vera versus Sandhagen, Pereira versus Adesanya. We're on a good run right now. Holloway versus Allen, Pavlovich Blades, it just continues to go on and on and on, so the UFC's got a pretty darn good slate of fights coming up. You can check out all of the great action here at Fight Night Picks, Twitter and Instagram, the YouTube channel as well. Those individual videos come out soon, and we also have question mark kicks. Two hours before the prelims if there's any pick changes the official ones get locked in there on saturday keep it locked in with fight night picks we always say let's, let's get, get into it, it.